Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 36 for February 23rd, 2024. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Lapic. Hey. And Janet Garcia. Hello. Which athlete is this? You know, I did look up, like, number notable number 36s, and there's a lot of them. But none that like really resonated with me, and I don't want to be a pretender. I don't, you know, I don't be out here like saying like, oh yeah, I love, I love so and so. I never forget his jersey number. Clearly, I couldn't be bothered to remember. Uh, So it's just just a normal normal episode number. But let me tell you, once we get into the fifties, it's going to be like every week. You're going to be like, (laughs) that's not even like. A particularly notable Bears linebacker. I'd be like, "Shut the fuck up." He was great, <laughs> and uh, we're we're gonna do that for for a while. Yeah, that one 90s. good game against New Orleans. Don't you yep. remember that one? That was great. <laughs> uh, as always, we're a listener supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Our website has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you access to exclusive Remap content and help keep us going as a team. Plus, we have articles there. Uh, you should you should read some. I was I was <laughs> writing up some slightly underwhelmed reactions, but hopeful reactions to the Halo TV show. It it's kind of where it was last year. Um, Patrick, <laughs> also we, we watched that. We, we all we watched that together. We did a show on it. We did, yeah. Mm-hmm. We we did a, a couple episodes on on that first uh, Halo season, which I think you and I were. High on it is the wrong way to phrase it, but trying to take it for what it was as opposed yeah. to, um, to perhaps a more straightforward adaptation or, or, or translation of Halo uh, into a television show. And as as it was, it did have some interesting ideas. The interesting thing I thought about the season two trailer, I've not watched any of the episodes of season two quite yet, was that uh, obviously it's adapting sort of the arc that will end in the fall of Reach from the Halo Reach uh, uh, prequel game. Uh, but it seemed to be more... Halo fans, we know what you wanted. And a little bit of your piece seemed to be, nah, but we don't have the budget to make that, to make that show. They, yeah, it's, um, they're really hiding a lot of like when, when the Spartans fight, it's, uh, you, you can't, you can't ever be allowed to see like the, the battlefield, uh, really mm-hmm. doing a whole lot. But I think the, the, the really weird thing is Patrick, like at the end of the first season, do you remember like, uh, that girl Quan, the the one who's from like the mining colony that Master mm-hmm. Chief like rescues and sort of mm-hmm. at the end of her her arc, right? Like she was united with like 
her people who turned out to be seers on this planet, right? We can't right, leave her there. Right, 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 yes. So this season, she just shows back up on that asteroid where Bokeem Woodbine's character hangs out. Mm-hmm. And just like is is like in full, come with me if you want to live with no explanation. It's just like, uh, yeah, we shouldn't have split this character off in the plot line. <laughs> so we're going to have her show back up uh-huh. as if nothing ever happened. And we assume probably correctly that nobody remembers anything from season one. So you're just going to roll with it. Like, yeah, no, it makes sense. The Quan's here. Uh, so it, it's a it's a super weird. weird Nobody's season. gonna go look it up and check, Rob. Uh, I rewatch season one, please. I don't, yeah, uh, I don't only think for so. the only for Master Cheeks. Uh, that's the only scene that I I, I revisit. Um, you and Cor- you and Cortana. Cortana just downloaded that into the memory <laughs> banks. Oh, that's the other thing. At the start of the season, they're like, we got to get Cortana out of Master Chief's head, and we never see Cortana again. Like she just disappeared. Wow. Uh, it's very it's a very weird season. Uh where like the the whole first season's like someday this powerful AI and this weird dude are going to become one. And at the start of the season they're like, Yeah, Cortana lives in a utility closet now. Uh and does <laughs> and nobody talks to her. Goodbye. It's I mean it's odd. You're gonna get two seasons into a Halo television show, which now exists in an environment where a lot of cost cutting, like sh- like a lot more stream, like the, the the golden age of green lighting anything for streaming is quickly coming to an end, and it's in- entirely possible that Halo never gets a season three, and ultimately, despite being a show called Halo, maybe never makes it to a Halo. <laughs> like, are we gonna get like that first? What's the 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 you know, the, the the famous mission in Halo One, the beach? You know, like you come yeah. off the. I forget what that one is called, but you know, like you can imagine, like there are storyboards to adapt. That's like get get onto that. Now maybe you won't be able to see the beach. There'll be like a fog of war. <laughs> like mm. they might not be able to yep. afford the full the full beach. Which it's. I mean, you pointed this out in your piece. Um, one of the things that was really remarkable about Halo as a video game was exactly what I'm talking about. Was a beach that seemed to stretch on into infinity. It was a game at like. Yes, it was like a really remarkable, like made first person shooter controls work on uh, a controller in a way that didn't feel like a compromise, felt like it was executing on what the controller was capable of. But also, it was like really nifty, uh, advanced enemy AI dropped in to really big spaces. Like the playgrounds of Halo are not all, are mostly not like the flood, or and even the ships are like pretty wide, but like it's big open spaces that you're playing in. And the show struggles with meeting the moment on that because that is a difficult thing to depict in live action if you're not going to have, you know, a film. They're not going to build a Band of Brothers soundstage where it's like we we built an indoor like acre of woods and hills that (laughs) that dudes fight over. Uh, But, yeah, it is very much like what if we just put a little Master Chief in this drone cam footage and had him run around so fast that, of course, he looks blurry and sprite like he's just so fast. That's the only way your eyes can process him. So it's uh, it's been a a very, a very goofy, goofy time. uh, So so are you you just liking it? though even though i couldn't i couldn't tell by the end of like is the whole season out or is it are they still no they're, they're doing week by week okay. uh you know no not just liking it it's kind of fun yeah, it's kind of, that's how i felt about the first one lean and back actually, on that couch have a drink <laughs> like wait for the fall of reach i know it's coming baby <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, they they get to it fast. Like, but oh, Reach has already of, fallen. I don't know if they're going to be doing like I, I haven't seen the one that came out this week. Uh, okay, but at the end of like the second or third episode, the Covenant start hitting the planet with their huge like laser blasts. Okay, uh, and so yeah, like we get into like, this is all going down real fast uh, mm. here. So hopefully that'll be the shot in the arm. Of the series series needs like we're going to sort of wash our hands of all the shit back at UNC headquarters <laughs> and get to the real stuff. Uh, but, but we'll see uh, something else we should get to, you know, last week we talked about, we need to see what comes out of this uh, Nintendo direct. Uh, clearly, Xbox is holding stuff and you know, holding stuff in reserve. They can't talk a, about a lot of stuff. Uh, so, the Nintendo Direct happened. What did we learn? Uh, well, at least uh, two of the four reported slash rumored games uh, that were part of the four games that uh, Xbox is is porting elsewhere were present in uh, a Nintendo Partner Direct, uh, which is a little bit different than a Nintendo Direct because they don't doesn't really traditionally have a whole lot of stuff from Nintendo itself in there um and if you were wondering hey the reason as we kind of speculated uh uh previously hey maybe one of the reasons microsoft is being so tightly wound about this is hey when you're in a nintendo direct you know you 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 shut up so that you can be in the nintendo direct and you respect the sort of the rollout that's happening there and to some degree i thought maybe that meant nintendo would make some sort of show of this moment like wow look Xbox games are coming to switch. Absolutely not. Like it is, it is rolled out. Like the first one happens uh, with, with grounded, which I think is the first game shown in the partner showcase. It's not even remarked upon. I mean, it's listed as like Xbox game studios. Microsoft doesn't have the juice folks. This isn't, this this isn't uh, like Phil Spencer coming out, you know, in a video to be like, hey, Nintendo fans, Xbox is coming. Because I feel like that's kind of the weight that some of this seemed to take on was that this is going to be a big deal. Phil Spencer is maybe, could maybe make an appearance in a direct like this and explain, like, Xbox is happy to happy to be here. This is just part of a long list of trailers for a long list of games during which is likely Super to be a... Super monkey balls in here. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> A lot of franchises are here, and that also includes uh, Grounded uh, and also uh, Pentiment. Pentiment comes out. Um, Wait, and what? When you listen to this, it'll be out. Uh, Pentiment will be out on on Switch. That is this week, and then Grounded is April sixteenth. Uh, that was uh, in the on, direct. On, I in a montage again, Kato, unremarked upon. Pentiment did not get its own segment. Oh. Pentiment was put into a montage at the end. Oh, I hate those no montages. Wonder. I was like, information. what do you mean, Pentiment? I didn't Can see it that. Can be a montage <laughs> if we're looking back on something we never saw? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> you know Why what? I'll bet Nintendo way. was just trying to be so respectful of, like, there's just so many secrets about Pentiment they don't want to give away. They just want people <laughs> to have, like, right. a completely right. unspoiled mm-hmm. Pentiment experience because, like, yeah, you just don't like you don't want to let people know what what Andreas Mahler is getting up to. You don't want to let people know about that third act. <laughs> so I'll bet, yeah, that actually is the highest the the highest honor Nintendo can bestow is just to not talk about the game whatsoever. <laughs> well, it's it's just given how whipped into a frenzy everyone has been, or at least certain segments of the gaming populace have been. Even us, like just speculating what is. 
what does this mean? I mean, we wrote a whole piece about it. What is this the future of Xbox? And mm. but I think un- underlining that was a thought of I think I, I mentioned this somewhere. Like if this had just rolled out the way it was planned to be rolled out, which was this, which just was yeah. pentiment and grounded appearing in Nintendo Direct, it would have been sort of whoa, oh that's interesting. And I think mostly the world would have moved on. Yeah. Um, because this doesn't seem particularly consequential. Microsoft clearly didn't push to make this a big deal in a du- in the direct. Um, whether they could make that happen or not, like who's to say? But it's it is really just a perfunctory. Here are some games coming to Switch. Hopefully, this will distract you from the Switch Two not coming out this year. Uh, and it just feels kind of a like a nothing burger. Like at at the end of it, it's still noteworthy and. But I feel like the the noteworthiness will be determined by the long tail of Xbox's decisions yeah. Yeah. as opposed to anything we've learned today. Um, just a, kind of a wild place to end up after what felt like a whirlwind two weeks. I'm shocked it's not Hi-Fi Rush. Because that feels like the... I'm just going to say like the most interesting of those titles. Like, as no shade to Pentiment, but it's not as, you know, marquee. So, it was my game of the year last year, so I'm with you. I, I'm I'm out here wanting the the people to more of the people to play to play to play High Five Rush. <laughs> and it seems to fit the Switch quite well. Although I will say, of the the three games, uh, or I guess four games, Sea of Thieves, Grounded, High Five Rush, and Pentiment, High Five Rush has an aesthetic that probably betrays how technically advanced it is. I do wonder to some degree the ability for them to pull that off on. The, the cloud Switch. version of the of oh, Hi-Fi come Rush. Come on, Kato tried to play the cloud version of Hi-Fi Rush, and that didn't work out for them very bad. well. It was uh, the, the first the first time around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, who said but, anything uh, about it working? I said it. Be, I said it. Be there. <laughs> I didn't say it would work. Uh, we there, apparently uh, uh, Tom Henderson, who I believe is a, uh, a writer at Inside Insider Gaming, Inside Gaming, um, mentioned that there is more. Microsoft partner announcements to come as of the day that we are recording this, which I expect to be something on the PlayStation blog related to like probably grounded and, and Pentiment also appearing on, on PlayStation. We can't, if that breaks while we're recording this, I'll, I'll update us, but it seems, seems like that's going to be the first part of this rollout are, are the two of those games. And to some degree that makes sense for Sea of Thieves because Sea of Thieves is probably, the biggest of those four games, you know, it feels a little bit forgotten because we're a couple years out from the launch of that game, but it has quietly been like a pretty decent success for Microsoft. And I can imagine that game commanding a little more of its own announcement than than a Pentiment or uh, a Grounded. People just don't know what they have in Pentiment. That's the real problem. Here. <laughs> yeah, no, this should be this should be some of the biggest news of, of the winter. But yeah, it's it is. Look, just... We're too dumb to understand what you're talking about, Rob. Okay, like I just I saw like some something medieval for three seconds on a splash screen at the end, and I'm like, I don't know. It's wow. not even really medieval, but you know, we'll just we'll just set that. The whole point is the Middle Ages are kind of in their you know it's kind of ending. We're in the Renaissance, the Renaissance. baby. But the point the is, bread was his soul. <laughs> the point is, like, it, it, like if it hadn't been for that stuff about like Starfield and New Indiana Jones, I think, you know, this would have been much more controllable from Microsoft's standpoint. Uh, but also, this doesn't feel like it gets 
it doesn't feel like it brings us closer to oh I, I see what Microsoft is doing right now. It's still it still kind of feels like all right, well we got a we we've got a lot of studios in house uh and an underperforming console. And we'll just see we'll see what happens. All right. I guess we will. <laughs> uh anything else interesting out of the partner partner showcase? Uh just as a, a really Epic troll on Nintendo's part, Mother Three, um, uh. Uh, the the long desired uh, to be released out of Japan mm-hmm. uh, installment mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, more commonly known Earthbound series, is coming to Switch, but in Japan <laughs> only, um, yeah. uh, not not coming here with a localized version. That said, my understanding is the well the the fan localization of Mother Three is tremendous. Go go like not legal <laughs> advice, but if you found a hacked PS2 like somewhere on the ground, it, there's already is uh, it sounds like a pretty excellent way to experience that game. But I keep like I don't need new games to play, but I've I loved Earthbound's one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I'd love to play Mother Three, but like the idea that I'm through enough of the games that I'm playing that I should stack on a fan localization of a game to the games I'm already playing is just not going to happen. So instead, I just keep keep getting to say, can't wait to play Mother 3 eventually. They're, they're going to do that at some point, right? No. <laughs> Since it's on Switch Online, like, couldn't you just... Because you can have, like, other accounts that are, like, set to other regions. Isn't that something? Yeah, but yeah, I can't read it. it. I can't read it. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a game in Japanese. Yeah. I can't read it. Uh. Um... But yes, yeah, so you you could in theory uh, do that through the like, eyes like, of a child I, who I has could, learned I to read. Work, yeah, I could get working <laughs> on my kanji. Uh, otherwise, uh, Star, Star Wars Battlefront Collection, uh, which people seem pretty stoked about, is coming to uh, Switch and a bunch of other platforms. Are these the old Battlefront games? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it's uh, combining one, uh, one and, and two, two together uh, with some new maps, some new characters. Uh, that comes out March fourteenth. I've never played those games. We might have to mark that down. That Why? might be a fun stream to to do um, <laughs> i also never played next them. month what <laughs> it was uh, when they came out it was in this dip where i was also like, not played it no i wasn't <laughs> expected that i didn't play it they came out on consoles it was like i was sort of a like a multi a, a big multiplayer shooter is that on ps2 why am i supposed to give a shit about this that was kind. Of, that was kind of, wow. kind of my feeling at the time <laughs> well because it was Toxic star Patrick. wars and you got to play as the uh, yeah i mean i i I got to it late, 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 late in the uh, PS2's lifetime, but uh, that that was my Star Wars game from my youth because I didn't. They're well regarded. They're very well regarded games. I I uh, I'll be curious to see how they they yeah. hold up. Rob, you never you didn't play them at all. Period. So we're we're in the same boat there. Okay. Yeah. Zero right. zero zilch. We're gonna we're gonna rip off this band aid uh, <laughs> next next month and check it out. Um, two other brief things. Uh, there's a new Endless Ocean. Game Endless Ocean Luminous. Uh, Endless Ocean is a series that I believe starts on the Wii, um, uh, which is basically about casually exploring like beautiful oceanscapes. Uh-huh. To some degree, it's a little sad that a game like this is coming at the end of the Switch's life cycle, as opposed to being a game on a Switch Two, because it really seems like it would like depictions of a beautiful ocean would be wonderful on some new hardware. But um, I, I haven't played the Endless Ocean games, but I, I know they're well-regarded for for what they are, and the new one looks all right. Uh, the thing that kind of caught my eye, though, uh, as I remarked this, to, I never ended up talking about the hour or so I played of Penny's uh, Big Breakaway, which is a new Dreamcast-esque platformer from the uh, studio behind Sonic Mania. Uh, and I remarked to Kato, I believe, on a stream mm-hmm. about it. I was like, hey, I played that. 
the, the, the version of the game they sent me, it really seems like it's just the full game. Uh, <laughs> because in the, in the, usually when you get access to a game early, they've uh, created a specific version or build, as it's commonly called, of the game that cuts off at a certain point. Right. Like, that's it. Um, and that's all that all you can do. Uh, they put boundaries in there to stop you from accessing anything else. When I got access to Penny's Big Breakaway, it was a code that I could redeem on Steam. And then they were like, hey, hey, could you just not play past 5-2, like World 5 Level 2? And I was like, huh. huh. Like, that, yeah, I get it. Sure, I'm I'm on it. Like, uh, But it, like, I played it. I was like, I think this game might be done. Like, that's a very <laughs> odd thing to do for a press build. And then, and then a couple of weeks later, it's just out. And so I sent a note to <laughs> the, the PR person. I was like, hey. Do I need it? No, you don't need anything new. You're good. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. You just seeded the end of the, That's the just full all game of it. a couple there you weeks go. early. But I, I'll, I'll talk about it more next week. Now I'll put some actual real time into it. But like, this game is fucking sick. Like, the Dreamcast <laughs> nice. never died because it lives on in Penny's big breakaway. And the greatest thing that ever happened was that the Sonic Mania team stopped making Sonic games and wow. instead made something else. And so I'm tremendously I am actually really excited. curious because like, Again, I was a PC gamer basically forever. Didn't like, you know, I, I had PlayStation 2, but like mainly I, I, I existed on on uh, mm-hmm. PC. When you say Dreamcast uh, esque platformer, yeah, what is the character of a Dreamcast platformer as opposed to like what other people were doing uh, platformers elsewhere? Like, like what is it that harkens? Well, part of the, the Dreamcast specific part of it is the aesthetic um it is like really colorful um uh trying to pull up uh here let me get the link so y'all can see um like really uh vibrant colors um score attack like focus on like time finishing um like it's just a very old school approach to play like designing uh, a, pl- a platformer um and it's 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 just really well made the mechanics are built around a kind of a yo-yo that you can use in in various ways uh but the whole time i was playing uh, like the 90 minutes or so that i've i've spent with it uh was hey these people love them love them some dreamcast games and decided to to make a new one so that's my that's my short recommendation up front before i can speak more thoroughly to it but Hell it's yeah. um it's uh it's really good um uh, from from what i've played so uh that's out on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, PC, that's like out, that shadow dropped uh, as part of the, um, as part of the direct. And yet we so badly, like, Patty, when you were saying, you know, we need to, we need to play the Battlefront collection. I was like, yes, but do we have to do that on a Switch? Could we (laughs) not? Could we not just? We don't. We don't. Because we have the problem of. You know, it's fine. (laughs) I want, I want faster Switch. I so badly want faster switch. <laughs> a whole year? Uh well yeah, so yes, there are there are multiple reports coming out uh from Bloomberg, Eurogamer, VGC, a bunch of outlets have reported that the Switch 2 or whatever they end up calling it, uh which had been widely understood and reported to be out before the end of the year, which there is a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest we are very close to the the next iteration of the switch nintendo just refuses to announce look i I, i'm looking forward to my whole house 
is vibrating about the Princess Peach game that is coming out next month. Like, so it, I am not trying to dismiss what is left in Nintendo's lineup, but it is, they, they've clearly stopped prioritizing, like, Tears of the Kingdom was kind of the, and, and Super Mario Brothers Wonder was sort of the end of life for Nintendo supporting the Switch with their their big games. And they seem to have moved all of their teams um, and, and franchises onto whatever is next. Metroid Prime 4, a game we haven't, seen at all despite being in some sort of development for the better part of a decade now um and apparently for reasons that are currently unknown will probably stay unknown the only uh kind of illusions we get to it from uh, reports um from uh, journalists are that the nintendo isn't happy with the library of games that it's launching with they've decided to move the switch to uh to a early next year release which Conveniently lines up with the eighth anniversary of the Switch. It's easy to forget that despite console launches usually historically being in the fall to capitalize on holiday sales, that the Switch was unveiled in the fall of 2016 and then came out uh, in uh, the early parts of uh, 2017. And so, not I don't. It doesn't sound like they arrived here in the way that they intended, but it's not. You know, the Switch is still selling exceptionally well it is slowing but it has not fallen off a cliff and so if nintendo decides to wait a couple more months it's not a tragedy for themselves but the thing i will point out is a lot of analysts that i follow that were marked on on the news uh absent nintendo eventually confirming it by unveiling the switch 2 and giving us a sense of when it's coming out is that this was already set to be kind of a down year for the video games industry we're looking at like slow slow growth, lack of growth, regression, enormous amount of layoffs. And one of the reasons the console cycle exists is to get a big boost of funding, investment, interest in video games. And with the PlayStation 6 and the whatever the next Xbox is, at least two years away, uh, probably optimistically, the Switch 2 was seen as hey, while the investment scene sorts itself out and hopefully recovers to some to some degree or at least achieves a new normal that people can base expectations, lives, budgets around, the Switch 2 is going to drive a ton of money and interest. And that losing out of the holiday season is, like the analysts I've ta- like talked to and, and, and read, read through, suggests it was already kind of a bleak year, despite how many amazing games seem like they're coming out and are about to come out um the lack of another switch is going to be prove maybe not disastrous but it's not going to help the situation and it might have been a nice band-aid but at the same time like nintendo at least like they're almost like a playing a different game at this point right we were talking about like the you know sony xbox thing it's like nintendo is kind of its own thing and it's been wildly successful i think they feel like the only one where the, the traditional console platform model is really working where it's like yeah they sell a ton of their own games but also the switch marketplace moves so much so so many games through it uh that like being on being on switch is you know a, a huge a huge deal for for developers so i don't know if it, it feels like they have a lot of freedom that other folks don't uh to you know for Nintendo, it feels like the stakes are fairly low. I don't, I don't, I do not foresee a Wii U fiasco. Uh, they're low and they're high, right? Like, because you're right, I don't foresee a Wii U fiasco if they just do the most normal thing possible, which is just make 
a better um, like but a better the most normal thing the rub right. yeah that, like just make a better switch that's backwards compatible with the existing software and you'll sell a lot of those but like as easy as that seems and as likely as that seems Nintendo doesn't have a great track record of going from one successful generation to the next uh you know you have the NES to the SNES but that's a very unique point in time when they are essentially the market um uh in in a lot of ways the n64 while full of great games was not quite a disaster but it was like a, a real mess for a number of years the gamecube essentially slid them into hardware irrelevance and then they were forced to you know famously duct tape two gamecubes together to create the wii and then again the the, the wii sounds like the switch this is like you made one of the most successful platforms of all time. Just do another one of those, even if maybe the motion control. Like, I think I don't know that another motion controlled hardware would have been nearly as successful as the Wii. But they went and they swerved because how Nintendo has arrived at their success over the years. Look at the Game Boy Advance to the DS, right? Look, even the DS to the 3DS, like uh, adopting 3D, like really kind of archaic 3D without glasses. Like they... They do weird things because that has been why they've been so successful yeah. is to is to swerve against what the consensus is. And the consensus is the Switch 2 sounds like what every other console is. You take the thing that you did, you put you jam better hardware in it, and you make games built around that. And that's just historically not what they've done. I do think this is the one instance where just stay the course. Everyone just wants you to do the normal thing. But you have to you have to at least include the ten percent possibility that they reject that outright <laughs> and, and do or or at least decide they want some sort of thing to hang the switch yeah. to on that we're not seeing in front of us at the moment. That's not the obvious part of a switch to. I would be shocked if they just did the switch but better. I mean, I think that does make the most sense, but at the same time, They've also struggled with and it, the Wii U was like different from the Wii. So I don't think the Wii U was another Wii, but everyone was like, well, we really like the Wii. So like, why would I go over there to like what else you have going on? Even if what mm-hmm. else you have going on isn't necessarily like fundamentally that different, because like, I guess what's the Wii thing? The nunchuck? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't well, people, I feel like the- we're in the seats because of the nunchucks. It was because of the moment in time they created. And I think Nintendo's great at doing that and capturing hearts and minds. But then it's like, how do you do that again? Like, we we loved you before. I don't know if I, you know, it's weird because the fan base is, like, super loyal. But at the same time, like, the more general consumers aren't necessarily like, well, I want to make sure I can play, like, your latest and greatest hardware, even though they make, inc- I mean, software, even though they make incredible games, like, for their platforms. I mean, I think, when I think back to the the Wii U, it was nifty, but man, the, it was such a, I'm not sure it was necessarily people wanted a, I just want, I don't want to give my nunchucks, but I think <laughs> that tablet didn't feel good. Like it was, oh, I think it's underrated. I, like I think tablet. it's an underrated, it's an underrated but controller. I do uh, think to like your point, Rob, like the, the Wii U did feel like a half step of an idea. Now, to a degree, could you say the switch is sort of the fruition of like, no, the tablet is that we want you to like be like, you're going to put this thing in your hands. That's where you play yeah. the game. Uh, we're going to sort of bridge the gap between like a portable console and a, you know, a set top console. It's going to be now it's just the one thing. Uh, but 
I would be really curious to see what the goofy moonshot iteration of the Switch could be. Um, I would be be super excited uh, about that, but it just it just seems like you don't have to gamble right now. Uh, So why? But they, you know, why would you do it? I guess they haven't always had to gamble before, and that doesn't stop them. Why not both? Is what I hope for. It is, slides is up just, like a sidekick, but then you can close it like a DS somehow. <laughs> well, well, I just feel I feel like they're gonna need, they're gonna feel this desire to have a pitch that is more than just your games run faster. Like for example, my mm-hmm. my uh, almost four year old uh, she got Mario Kart pilled at the arcade last weekend, and then like I had to fish out a, a Switch light that's just been dusted up in a drawer so that she could have a machine to play Mario Kart on, which she doesn't really play. I just turn on all the automatic stuff and she just, just sort of sits there and watches herself get fourth place <laughs> by, by default on 50 CC. That's so but, cute. Like she doesn't need a switch too. my, my oldest. Um, she eventually understood. She doesn't know how to explain a frame rate, um, but on an older iPad, she would play Roblox and she she didn't say it in this way, but it's what she meant was like, why does this play like shit? I can't jump. <laughs> and what she was saying was the frame rate was awful and it made her timing of the physics simulation, which is already wonky in Roblox, really bad. I was like, you're right. We'll get you a new one when there's a sale. And so we Digital did. Foundry gets another soldier. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, I can't give her the actual technical knowledge because then she'll become too powerful. Um, but she doesn't notice that on her Switch because Switch games broadly, especially Nintendo ones, are optimized to run really well on that Switch. My youngest is, I have years to go before I ever have to worry about that. Be- and so I just wonder, the audience for a Switch 2 that is just more powerful. I'm not saying it's tiny, but it's not hundreds of millions of yes. people. And that's what I mean by, like, the wider Mm. audience is more casual. Mm -hmm. Like, you need something to put the ass in the seat because they're not necessarily just going to... Like, Nintendo's kind of designed around we're not just improving the power. Like, you know, every console, to some degree, does some degree of, you know, oh, but here's, like, what makes this different. You know, like, that's why the dual... Not the dual sense. The PS5 had the... The dual sense stuff was like a big thing they highlighted. At the end of the day, though, it doesn't really matter what they did or didn't do with their controller. We were all probably going to get a PS5 because it has like the new games on it and it's mm-hmm. a little more powerful. Same thing with the Xbox, like where, I don't know, their secret sauce was the stuff like quick resume or like talking about how seamless it is to like transfer over and things like that. Like it's not necessarily enough to say like, oh, we all remember the PS5 and the Series X for the way they did their little gimmick that they like brought out to like have talking points. It's more of the iteration. Nintendo's kind of almost the opposite. Like the power is almost like, Oh yeah, it's a little like, maybe it's a little more powerful, but that's not really the dog and pony show. Like that's they're not, not really going to come out and go you. breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom. Now run at 4k 60 frames. A exactly. Second, which is oh, what God, Sony and Microsoft <laughs> would do, but that's not, they like, literally I come out and that. shown loading times before mm. in the presentations, uh, yeah. which yeah, is meaningful, right? It's a quality of life thing, but yeah, it's maybe not the the Nintendo way. I feel that like too yeah. with the last three generations, the Switch, the Wii U, and the Wii specifically, their stuff and you know presentations have evolved a lot more since like back in the day when 
it would just be complete chaos and like people who've never spoken to a crowd like having to do full-on presentations like things are a lot more polished and like prim and proper than that but so much of Nintendo's marketing in the last three consoles has not even really been about the games even though they have fantastic games it's been about the feeling like you look at their commercials and more than I think any other console it's about like interpersonal and people's lives while like other consoles you know you might see like people playing the PlayStation but it's not really about them and their experience playing. It's about like what they're doing, which is like, oh, they're playing a great game or like they have these weird flashy like CGI trailers of the characters coming to the world, right? Like it's all about that. But you think of Nintendo's marketing and it's, you know, the people on stage for the the Wii playing a game of tennis together. It's the rooftop party. Like that was such a big talking point <laughs> on show. Despite the fact that like what we really care about is like Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. We were all talking about like, do you really think I'm going to like take the thing on the roof to, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, that's kind of the talking point. People went wild for that commercial they had a few months ago. That was the sad guy on his bus from work playing like Pokemon. And people were like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, you know, <laughs> they're I'm depressed. It's, it's yeah, they're like, Pokemon. Nintendo is dialed into the return to office moment. <laughs> yeah, yes. and, that's, and, and you look at even like, again, the stuff for Switch. It's a it's about like. Oh, like the the mother comes home and the daughter is already playing Animal Crossing and they're going. It's not really about Animal Crossing, even though that's the you know, that's moving numbers, too. And that's a big moment as well. But they're not really spending time highlighting their software in that way. They're not even highlighting the hardware. They're highlighting the idea of people coming together and how they interact with their stuff to connect with something within or something interpersonal. So I don't know what the Switch 2 well, looks like for that kind of angle. I think that touches on something. Like, I go back and forth on, like, a being of two minds about this. Like, on the one hand, again, going back to the Xbox thing last week, yeah, I do kind of admire that Phil Spencer's, like, doesn't feel like a bullshit artist is going to be like, yeah, future video games is really murky. It's weird. I don't know. And there are a lot of snake oil salesmen who, like, you know, most of our tech innovation feels like it is being driven by phony visionaries who are dumbasses who don't really know anything uh, and are just sort of raising capital against the gullibility of investors. And I get that. But on the other hand, sort of what you're, what, what you're alluding to there, Janet, is like it does help to have some sort of compelling and interesting vision for like what is this platform going to do? How is it going to – be different, not just from its competitors, but like how is its existence going to make your life a little different and maybe a little bit better? And yeah, like historically, Nintendo, especially in like since the since the Wii, like it's been hit or miss, but have had these ideas about how are we going, how are we going to play, how are we going to play together, uh, you know, where are we going to play, and you know, across the you know, uh, across the divide, uh, you know, you have the two other platform holders who are the vision is kind of it's faster and, you know, the games, the games are going to look better and that's meaningful, but it it doesn't, it clearly doesn't get you to where Nintendo has gotten, uh, you know, with, with the switch. Um, that being said, it's not going to stop PlayStation rolling out a PS five pro, which I will buy. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I will buy any any machine, any one of these machines that runs a little bit faster. Yeah, the, there are reports that that Sony is going to follow in the footsteps of the PlayStation 4 Pro um, for with a piece of hardware for the end of the year um, called the 
PS5 Pro or, or some some equivalent. Um, we don't uh, know the exact details on what what that'll be, but you know, if we if we suspect it's in line with the PlayStation 4 Pro, you know, it will like be you know a little bit better, but obviously not a generational leap. My hope, all I'm kind of looking for is it does seem like the performance mode, the desire to stick to 60 frames a second, which I was wondering whether that would continue to be a thing this far into this generation is kind of sticking around might be a like permanent part of the landscape going forward, which made me excited. I like the, I like the idea of game developers incorporating PC like, but streamlined settings options to give people just different options and how they, how they play their, how they play their games. And, but that's going to run up against limitations as these games get more ambitious with their lighting and yada. It's just the natural, uh, progression of things in console cycles uh, these days. And so a, a PS5 Pro would at least let you to step, in theory, step through the door of continuing to have like decent looking performance modes um, that probably start lagging behind or disappearing on the baseline uh, PS5. But uh, yeah, I, I'll buy, you know, my PS5 is firmly situated up in my, uh, you know, one of my, my big TVs and absent me getting my PC fully connected to that, I'm a sucker. Like you could give me a modestly better PlayStation five and I will be lining up to buy it. I, I don't know that that audience is all that huge, but there's enough, there's enough suckers like me that uh, my guess is it'll do decently well. Well, and probably over time, like it may not do gangbusters like day one, but like more and more people are just going to hit that threshold where it's going to be like, I don't know. There's a better one of these, and I could I could do with that. Like I think, or if you're buying one, right? Like like if you, you notice this happens, yeah. Like if you look at the tr- the the uh, sales trends on something like the iPhone, right? Like some years back, they introduced the Pro line, which in some ways is an arbitrary reason to gate features and uh, charge more. Um, that's a very cynical and not entirely inaccurate way of looking at like the Pro line on on the iPhone. There's like you can look at it in the same way with. The PlayStation, where if you're looking at the next three years of the generation, the second half of it, for people who are getting into the yeah. the cycle, like there's a decent number of people, right? Like when the GTA Six comes out, like I do think this is kind of feels like a soft deadline for that is get this out the door before the biggest game of the generation arrives in GTA Six in in spring of 2025. How many people look at like, oh well, I'm already buying a $400 box, like why not get the best one for 500 or 600 or whatever they end up charging. And I, I could see that being a pretty easy sell to quite a few people, especially with the GTA six around the corner. The uh, PS4 pro and Xbox one X preceded red dead two by about a year, six months. I feel like it was, I, I feel like let's see. It's just, it's just funny that like rockstar functions almost as a console cycle to themselves. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're like, not wrong. Yeah. The uh, PS4 Pro came out November 2016. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out October 2018. So it actually was like two okay. years apart. Um, but uh, you're not wrong that those are, again, those are once every almost 10 year sort yeah. of releases from that studio. So you, you can imagine they're the kind of company that maybe you don't orbit around it, but you're sure thinking about it. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if that was at least part of the reasoning um, combined with the holiday, et cetera, et cetera. 
given the like rumors around like what the next generation looks like for kind of everyone and like when that's coming down the pipe, do y'all think we're going to run into what we ran into last generation where it's like if you don't have one of these pro consoles, you're kind of like chugging along quite loudly because that's I ran into that. Before You know, you kind of get like fucked in the middle if you don't like pick it immediately for something like a mid-cycle thing. It's like if you want the mid-cycle thing, literally get it yesterday because soon the next gen's coming out. Yeah. And you, so you don't want to wait on it. It's like either get it immediately or never get it. It's kind of what I did with the OLED where it's like I didn't get it. And now it's like at this point, I'm just waiting for whatever Nintendo does next because that's what makes sense. So, yeah, I'm wondering, like, should I how much should I care? In a I don't. Sense, so, you know, my feeling and again, like. I'm sure Digital Foundry can break down and actually give you some real good yeah. decision making principles kid, here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I remember like yes, I was a little I was a little late to the PS4. I, I bought it, I think, like a, a year or two into its life cycle. But I remember out of the box, it was like it was a big upgrade over the PS3, obviously. But it was not long before I was like, damn, this thing it's Hitching a lot, like it just never had. It never had for me that sense of like, wow, they totally nailed the spec. This is there's a ton of wow factor here. I always felt really early on that like I was hitting the limits of what that hardware could do, and they were not masking it particularly well either on first or uh, third party games. I have not felt that with this generation yet. Like I know that. I think that's right. Like, like, yeah. Like, do I wish my PlayStation were faster at switching games uh, so that, like, having gotten so used to quick resume, having to be like exit out of this game and launch this next one uh, feels like an indignity now. Like, how dare you, Sony? How 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 dare you not let me bounce between these two games that are on rotation? This shouldn't. This feels like it shouldn't be that hard. But that's probably the only place where I'm like. Okay, there's there there's a limit there that creates a little bit, bit of friction. As far as performance, I never really feel the PlayStation in particular never feels to me like it is something where I've sort of hit the limits. Xbox is a slightly different kettle of fish. Um but I think for me it's there. The 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 issues have been more it kind of has some slightly PC like instability issues I've encountered uh in the last in the last couple of years. Like when it works, it works really great. But then there's times that I'm like, why did sound randomly stop working on my Xbox? Uh, why do I have to sort of do a full reset of my Xbox every few weeks to, to get things working right? Uh, but but yeah, I, I don't think last generation, it felt like the, the Pro and the One X were, were kind of addressing the reality that the baseline models just didn't have the horses for where games were at. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I, I, I don't feel like that's that's going to be the case here. I think this is going to be kind of a sell for someone li- like like me. who's like, would you just like a little bit more oomph as opposed to like my PS5 isn't particularly loud. I don't like again, I, I don't feel left. I, I don't think people are going to feel left behind. It's okay. more just again, if you look at an iPhone 15 versus a 15 Pro, like there's not like there's not a huge difference between those phones. But sometimes people just like. If you're buying something, you want the nicest one. So you're telling me and I shouldn't have bought what I bought because I spent so much money on this. <laughs> no, 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 no. You needed that. Oh you needed that third camera lens. Like you needed to be able to just do. You, you need to be able to create. Yeah. No, we could be. Yeah. You're a content creator. How will I not record my TikToks if I didn't have this exactly. phone? 
<laughs> you use the front Look, camera. I needed anyways, to make sure fine. that I, <laughs> I had the best dog videos that I could possibly have. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, available at a moment's notice. So well, there's nothing like that rush when you like have the new phone and like whoever you're with doesn't have the new phone yet, and then it's like you both take a picture and it's like. You know, one of us is taking pictures and one of us is taking photographs. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's actually yeah. what uh, people would say to each other all the time in Kato's uh, MFA program. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just oh, yeah. Someone you're, apart. <laughs> you're out here taking pictures. Kato's making <laughs> photographs. Another rough day of our critique. But when oh. you go home from your, your sad day of school, you can... Bust out that Nintendo Switch. It's always there for you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Patrick, we might need that hardware bump soon. Because I know we all finished our Elden Ring playthroughs. Yeah, but uh-huh. we have to go back. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you made it pretty far. Like I remember you made it to the winter area, right? Like, Look, as long as I didn't have to fight a boss, I was golden. <laughs> Like I was like I flowed like- through Elden Ring like water, where I was like, "Ooh, this is a cool little area to explore, cool dungeon." And then it opened a door, and there was a guy with a name and a huge health bar, mm-hmm. and I was like, "I'll see you later," <laughs> and I never did. Uh, yeah, so we uh, we ha- got a trailer, a three minute uh, kind of teaser uh, for. Uh, Shadow of the Erd Tree, uh, an expansion coming to uh, Elden Ring June 21st. So thank you, Lord Miyazaki. Uh, you did not pull a Horizon on Dragon's Dogma 2. Austin and I were privately praying to one another last night that this gameplay trailer, as excited as we were for it, was not going to murder Dragon's Dogma 2. <laughs> People aren't aware. I, uh, based uh, this is. When Horizon Forbidden West came out, it came out either the same week, right around the same time as Elden Ring. And Forbidden West was a big success. And it's like nobody talked about it because Elden Ring just completely swallowed all of the conversation. It just exploded in a way that was was wildly unexpected. It destroyed the economy of video games websites. It did. 100%. It made them think there was more money to be made than could at the time. Uh, And... uh, the previous Horizon game uh, came out at the same time, same orbit as Breath of the Wild. Also a game that like completely sucked up all the oxygen and interest, even as the original Horizon sold exceptionally well and like was a very good game. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and the thought was, is there another? There's no hor- – I mean, now granted, the funniest thing they could have done was to release it on the same date as Horizon Forbidden West coming to PC, which is happening in March – but the, the worry funny. was that they would launch it alongside Dragon's Dogma 2. And I was like, look, I'm willing to take that hit. I didn't think I was going to get a Dragon's Dogma 2. So if it has to die in the cradle <laughs> because Elden Ring's DLC must live, I suppose I suppose it was all worth it. Um, but it's coming in June. Uh, Kato and I, uh, if you check uh, our uh, Twitch.tv slash Remap Radio, you can watch the two of us responding and pretending what we know what we're talking about in yeah. terms of the lore implication and the world. But I mean, look, <laughs> I don't mean to trivialize the trailer. It looks like Elden Ring. Uh, it looks like an expansion to Elden Ring. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there will be details to come that are more specific on how it does or doesn't differentiate. But 
did you did you want more Elden Ring, son? Because it, it looks like they they built it. Uh, Kata, what did you what did you make of the trailer? Yeah, I mean it it, it definitely feels like it's just gonna be one of, it's gonna be one of those uh, DLC areas that are like it's a side thing, right? Like you don't you don't have to engage with it, and it might even be hard to engage with out of the box. We'll see how we have details. On it. I can say there's oh, an IGN yeah. interview with uh, Miyazaki it, that I was uh, scrolling through here uh, in which. Uh, you it is so the way Miyazaki describes it um uh is as a uh first of all the setting is of Shadow of the Earth Tree is a brand new land. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new map separate from the lands between. It is a land that is overshadowed by the particular shadow of the Erd Tree as opposed to the Erd Tree in the lands between. And it takes place again on an entirely separate, physically separate map. So it will evolve a warp of sorts to get there. Which is a, a way that uh, right. from software is handled. DLC in the past, the mirror world in yeah. uh, Dark Souls. Um, I forget exactly how all of them are handled, but like it's this isn't uncommon as a way to get to uh, an, an expansion. Um, importantly, uh, Kato uh, Mizaki also was asked about the size, which is something we were trying. It was like this looks big, and, and it's also 40 bucks. it's forty dollars, yeah. which is a lot uh-huh. to charge. This DLC is getting its own collector's edition. Yeah. <laughs> its own collector's edition for an expansion pack. Uh, IGN asked uh, Miyazaki, can you approximate the size of the world compared to the world in the base game? Miyazaki, it's hard to answer without giving away too much into a high degree of accuracy. But if you think in terms of scale or size, it's probably comparable, if not larger, than the area of Limgrave from the base game, which is a lot. Yeah, that is a big chunk. Limgrave is space. like a, a whole Souls game. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um, in in one area, and which is kind of what I was predicting. Do you not think we're when getting layers? The, Are we getting layers again? There were some underground fucking tunnel-y looking oh, places, right? Let's, can we go to the sky this time? Can we flip, <laughs> you know, flip it up? Yeah. It's time to take to the sky. Tears of the Erd Tree. <laughs> um, yeah, there, I mean, a, a lot of really, uh, you know, appropriately fucked up looking from soft enemies uh doing cool shit uh a bone that bone dude getting bagel. pulled off the ground by that worm with like yeah. a, with like a dune teeth face thing yeah uh fun but you know the thing i appreciate about Elden ring is like it's not constant but like every few hours you're gonna see something that you're gonna be like that's gonna stay with me for the rest of my <laughs> life yeah there's a cool bone guy who throws like a bone boomerang Love mm-hmm. love a cool bone guy. There's that giant. There's a giant that seems to be made out of just fire, but also like a cave, like a like a. What if a brazier? Hmm. How do you say that word? Brazier, <laughs> right? What if a brazier were a giant? <laughs> I did almost say God, God caught themselves. Almost... It's real easy though. It, it looks. <laughs> it looks similar. Just going phonetically. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, it seems it seems interesting. I'm I'm I am curious, and I think we 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 did they didn't they didn't say specifically how how you get into the spot, right? But I think we 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 uh, war, I, I, we're gonna touch we're that gonna touch dirty, that hand, dirty dirty Kato. hand. We're gonna touch that dirty <laughs> dead go hand. On a, go and on a I'm warped <laughs> to a, to the land of shadow yeah. to go fight uh, a bunch of other uh, monstrous uh, enemies. It it's also um, uh, maybe worth pointing out. Uh, that Miyazaki was asked uh, in a different interview uh, related to the release <clears> of this, uh, this trailer about a Bloodborne remake. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Or just like, what? Hey. What the fuck, bro? What's going on? Like, where's... I, charge me forty dollars for a sixty FPS patch. Yeah, the people the people have already I will done. Pull in the out my PS4. God damn it. <laughs> um, and no real revelations to to be had uh, other than uh, Miyazaki acknowledging like and thanking people for how much they they love the game. Uh, uh, let's say what it, one of these quotes are. I think uh, purely from a user perspective, modern hardware also allows more players to appreciate all the games, and so. It ends up being a simple reason, but for as a fellow player, I think that accessibility is important. I think that can be the driving force being bringing an old game to a newer platform. Uh, he was asked about the idea of like a re-release versus a remake versus a remaster. Uh, doesn't really give a conclusive answer <laughs> any which way. You know, I I tend to. This is my my prediction, not informed by anything, but I. I would not be shocked if what was happening is that we are just going to get a Bloodborne remake as a PS6 launch title in the same way that we got a Demon Souls remake as a PS5 launch title. At this point, they have waited so long to do this that either there is some sort of contractual reason, finance, like some sort of a trip up that like same way that like Mother 3 can't come out in English for some reason. There is something that we're just unaware of preventing this or they are waiting for a very big moment. And like three years from now, like how many years would that be from Bloodborne release date? I don't want to know that because it'll be upsetting. March 24th, 2015. Like we are like by the time the PS6 comes out, we'll be past the 10 year anniversary of Bloodborne. And that's right around the time that a, a full on remake would make some sense. And it would line up with Demon Souls being a, co-production with playstation which is what C- what uh, demon souls uh was was as well so anyway yeah shadow of the earth tree i'm glad it's coming out in june i got shit to play uh and so i appreciate them not <laughs> dropping it in the middle of march uh speaking of having stuff to play we'll get into what we've been playing in the second half of the show after this One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What <laughs> changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. 
Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com remap and use the code remap to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, Remap Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's, right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, So... The thing I've been playing or trying to play a lot this week, which I guess brings us to one of the last sort of news item uh, for, for this week, is Helldivers is really popular. Maybe too popular. <laughs> Maybe some of you need to leave and make room oh for other people who would like to dive. Maybe some of you uh, who call yourselves friends of Remap. And wow. who we've supported wow. and, you know, helped with their own their own endeavors. Maybe some of you should stop, stop squatting in the game oh uh, so that God. you can you can Q dodge. <laughs> not go, I'm not going to name names. Uh, you know, use your use your imagination as to as to who I could be talking about. Uh, but it is it is very funny that I have a few I have a few friends who. I was like, damn, they're playing so much fucking Helldivers. And then I would mess, I'd finally get into the game and I'd be like, hey, hey, friend, you want to play some Helldivers and crickets? And I'd be like, what are they doing? I'd open this up the social. They're queue. just holding their spot in the lobby. So it's monstrous, Patrick. But here's the thing. If you don't do that after like four Eastern, you're not getting to play Helldivers. So you've become the thing that you hate. Is this your way of leading into this? No, because I'm not a scumbag. Oh, wow. Uh, I, <laughs> Holy shit. I am just going to play in the morning uh, when when the queues are down. And if I happen to get in the mm-hmm, evening, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll play a few games. And then I'm being held hostage. There have been like, not like you know, I finally get into the game and wanted to play Helldiver since like, you know, four or five. And I finally get in and it's like. 6 30 and it's like i really meant to be starting to make dinner by this point but mm. now i'm here so dinner can wait i'll i'll eat dinner later because i have to i have to dive 
<laughs> oh Democracy God. is hungry, Rob. It must be fed. <laughs> it's it's true. So I get you know this has been one of the big stories in games this week because there, there's a there's a few parts to it. One is that good problem to have, but I think after a certain point, it stops being a good problem, and you've just got people not being able to play your game, getting frustrated. Like you know, a certain number of people, if a service doesn't work might just walk away or give up to, to, set, uh, to set to set some sort of like idea yeah. like for if you haven't been following so Helldivers 2 is available on playstation 5 and pc our understanding of the split is is wildly disproportionate on pc it's popular on ps5 but like it has really taken off extraordinarily on pc currently like literally right now i'm looking at the if you go to steam db you can see the like concurrence of like how many people are playing a game at once and some of our best understanding of a game's popularity absent sales data, which we don't actually have anymore in video games. Um, the current like top five games being played on Steam right now, Counter-Strike 2, 1 million people. Dota 2, five, uh, 579,000 people. PUBG, 324,000 people. Pal World, 263,000 people. Helldivers 2, 259,000 people. Uh, Helldivers 2 has peaked at 257,000. Or four, sorry, excuse me, four hundred fifty-seven thousand. Pal World at two, uh, you know, and so, but you get a sense of the scale. This is not just a popular game. This is already one of the most popular games ever to be released on Steam. Like it is, it is that level of intensity from a studio that was, let's say, not prepared for it. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, as much as it is clearly caught everybody involved wildly by surprise uh, as Rob is acutely noticing and trying to play it. Well, and those numbers, Patrick, you know, those are, those are big numbers. And that is with them having, at least in, in last week, capping the number of people who would even be allowed to, to at log 450, in. I believe. I think they were mm-hmm. capping it at 450. It gets like the maximum they believed they could service without like the whole thing collapsing uh, under, 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 under its weight. And I, I know they, they're like, they have, They've been putting out, you know, job uh, like hi- like they're trying to hire new, but it's it is not as simple. I can't sit here and explain it technically, but I've talked to enough people that work in video games. It is not as simple as like buy new servers, game like uh, uh, accommodate more players, uh, and it is not something you can just spin up immediately. There's a lot involved, but all that said, all the kudos to this team, Rob. I think you you touch on something that is very true. At a certain point. It sucks that you can't play the game. Like the game's still on sale. They'll take your money. I I appreciate that like the CEO who's been very active on Twitter. I highly recommend giving them a follow, even if you don't care about Helldivers. They've been very seemingly very transparent and forthcoming about the studio struggles as they've tried to scale. At some point this week, they did put out a tweet that was like, Hey, we get that the situation sort of sucks right now. I'd rather you buy the game later and enjoy it than buy it now and be frustrated easy to say when you've <laughs> the game is sold gangbusters but th- they do seem to be trying to institute some measures or at least get in some messaging of like hey back off i mean i can't you know i the closest analogy i suppose i can come to is um like when a restaurant so in in the restaurant world i think there's something called like a death hug where if you're a small <laughs> restaurant or, or a hug of death where like your small restaurant and then some major like magazine or newspaper or food blogger writes you up 
and suddenly you become the trendy food spot that everyone's got to go to. But you are still just a 25-seat diner or something that like just happens to make exceptional food. And suddenly, also, your business model is predicated on all 25 of those seats never being filled. 20, like not, They're not all filled 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And the minute that happens, you're just in a different business. It's a different scale of operation. The tempo completely changes. And I think that's kind of what's happening here is it feels like they were going to make a, you know, a hopefully successful, but like somewhat mid-market multiplayer game. This is, Arrowhead made a game called Magicka, uh, you know, ages ago for for Paradox, right? Um, you know, the Helldivers one, they've, they've always been a studio that makes sort of quirky uh, co-op games that have kind of goofy Simon Says mechanics built into them. Uh, but like, you know that is that is a scale of operation you're sort of you're sort of poised to operate at, and then for whatever reason, this thing has broken through, and you are dealing with a level of, you know, network infrastructure, matchmaking infrastructure that you've probably never had to deal with. And Patrick, to your point, like, you know, every week we're talking about like layoffs in the industry and how unstable things are. If you panic staff up and try to like meet this demand, and it turns out that like. Oh, the game doesn't have the legs we thought. Well, now you've now you've done it to yourself from a different angle. Like you've got a hit, yeah. But you know, if 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 suddenly you're like, all right, we need to be, we need to staff up. Like we're going to be service servicing a, you know, million players a day multiplayer game, and in three weeks it's sort of back down to what they always suspected it would be. Uh, you know, now now you got a different problem. I don't know what the I don't know what the arc of this is going to be. I think it's. It's a really neat game. Like there is a reason where once I get in and I get some good games going, it is hard to put down. It is it is a really arresting game and it becomes a different game as you tick up the difficulty levels, uh, which I think is something a lot of games struggle with. I think a lot of times when I play games like this, um, Payday comes to mind. Uh, the... What was it? Dark Tide is the 40k one. What was the the previous one uh, that that uh, Fat Shark made? The Warhammer, uh, you're mm. fighting the rats. Uh, uh, Vermintide, died? right? Vermintide, yeah, yeah. Like those games, like they become more challenging. They become more like multiplayer raids uh, in in an MMO. But the other thing is, they just sort of start swamping you really aggressively, like with more and harder enemies, but not necessarily more interesting uh you know things you're going up against a lot more a lot more annoying shit is happening there's a lot more bullet sponge uh stuff stuff going on and hell divers i think has a does a really good job of as you tick things up like yes it does have annoying ass enemies who start showing up and there are guys who take a lot of killing and a lot of kiting to bring down but it doesn't you know feel at least like the lower to the middle difficulty tiers, like it fully gets away from feeling like you are the biggest team of badasses in history, which I think sometimes can be a a thing with co-op shooters where, you know, as soon as you're like, well, I need to make this game more interesting. It kind of stops feeling very fun because you just start feeling like you are under the gun constantly. You're being, you're being swamped all the time and you don't have the, the resources to to sort of to meet the moment. Uh, so I think it's a, it, it's a it's a really like cleverly designed game. It's a it it is a blast to be to be playing when you can get in. Uh, but yeah, it is like Lord of the Flies trying <laughs> to get into that game, which I think is why 
you know, somebody narked on the uh, on the squatters. You know, the, the Arrowhead now is aware there are people who are just idling on their on their ship and uh, have promised that they're going to do something about it. Wow. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I, mean, there's I guess lo- you could, I guess you could institute. There's probably a way of tracking player movement relative to like time, like, you know, where it's like, Hey, in the same way that you're time to get out the old rubber bands. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Same with your, you know, your PlayStation shuts off after 10 minutes of inactivity. I can imagine, Hey, we've not inputted, you know, detected any input in the last 15 minutes are going to be booted out of the, the queue. But I mean, it's, it speaks to, it's been very, it's, it's fascinating because you couldn't have, you know, the start of this year, if we'd sat down and talked about, uh, hey, let's walk through all the major games coming out this year. Uh, what do we think? What games are going to pop? Pal World and Helldivers Two would not have been on that list, and it, it just goes <laughs> to just kind of the interesting time we are in games, where it's it seems like it's never been harder to get investment in a game, and simultaneously the games that are completely taking over kind of our collective imaginations even if for their brief periods of times everyone forgot power world exists it's still very popular but like that's all anyone talked well, dude, about when you said like and then PUBG is number three as like damn we live in an alternate universe in terms of what we talk about well, this, uh, but that's gonna happen to hell divers yeah a month from now hell divers will join pal world PUBG, counter-strike like it will it will join a game that is exceptionally popular and just not talked about in in the yeah. cycle that we are in it becomes somebody's forever game, and that doesn't yeah. mean you play it forever, but it becomes your like daily login game, like your your crew game. It becomes part of that rotation, and you just can't predict which one of those are are, are going to hit. And I, I it seems like it couldn't have happened to a better team. Like they seem <laughs> really cool and fun, and I've really enjoyed the reemergence of the Starship Troopers discourse that has happened alongside oh this. Uh, oh the great God. dunking that has occurred on people just com- somehow completely uh. missing everything that movie is about is, it's been great. It's made me want to rewatch that film. How do we go from Godzilla minus one to Starship Troopers? Can monsters are tough. Yeah, kaijus. <laughs> kai, uh, is a big, big bug monsters. a kaiju bugs? kind of? Bugs? Like, a, like a, a, the Mudos in Godzilla 2014, Rob, were kind of like bugs, right? They're bug-like. Right? <laughs> I, I think it's a bit of, like, I've seen people being like, uh, yeah, this is this has the same problems as Starship Troopers, where it, like, ends up glamorizing, uh, you know, the, 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 the fascism. And I think you could maybe make that case with Helldivers, too. Like, Helldivers, like, how the satire works there, the degree, like... Because the game isn't a story in that way, like you're it's always going to be going level. down. And it's kicking. aesthetic, yeah, right. But if you think that about Starship Troopers, it's like I don't know how to help you. Like you badly <laughs> missed the point. Like it's it's a movie you go back oh. and you you watch that movie and you then you read reviews from the time where people are like sincerely like think that movie think that movie's on the level and you're like how do you not. How do you not see it? But then again, that's how it was pitched and perceived did, did at the time. Robocop I watched too. that. I watched that movie because Denny Denise Richards got naked. That's why I watched Starship Troopers when it came oh out. Like, Starship Troopers comes out in 1997. Rob, like I am 11. I gotta tell you, the reason I got snuck into the theater for Starship Troopers had nothing to do with the satire. But I just don't remember that. That's how the film was perceived. That that happened in the wake of its release. Um, was it was it marketed as a 
purely no. as a satire. It was no, marketed it as an was, action it film, was right? Not. Yeah. And, and to a degree, it's a similar thing with RoboCop, right? Where people are like, damn. Like, thank God that, you know, in this dystopian future, the, the streets have gotten completely out of control. And, of course, you need a robo-policeman. <laughs> Time to, to fuck them up. up. <laughs> and, what be, and I think what, what makes these both these films brilliant is Rowan's painting a portrait of America as he sees it. Mm-hmm. And the subjects couldn't recognize themselves in it in, in that way. Uh, and, I, and I think Starship Troopers, like... <laughs> or they recognize she, it and go... But this is good, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is this is awesome. This rules. Uh, but but yeah, like Starship Troopers. It's so like this is a this is a movie that in the first like three minutes you're gonna see the little kid in full combat regalia, do like with all the other soldiers being like, "I'm doing my part." Yeah, and it's like it's an elementary school like child, and people are like, "This is on the level. This is real." <laughs> I didn't realize it was more than just. Obviously, I know the, the Verhoeven connection, but I did not realize it was the same screenwriter as RoboCop, the oh, same wow. producer as RoboCop, and was specifically engineered as a reason to get those people back together making something. I think um, we just found a future turn of the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't realize. I, obviously, it shares a lot so much DNA with with, yeah. with RoboCop, but I did not realize it shared. Like actual DNA from like the so much of the same creative staff, which makes so much more sense in retrospect with mm. the connections between the two the two films. Well, I think what's so funny is I was looking this up too. Like, it wasn't they wanted to make a movie about like badass dystopian fascist soldiers fighting like relentless aliens, and the Starship Troopers thing connecting to the novel comes later. Like the the project was always like so big Hollywood war epic with just like. Uh, you know, huge explosions, badasses killing monsters, and then Bug Hunt and Outpost Seven is like what it's originally called. like. Like that's yeah. that's their origins of this film. But the the thing that I think throws people off a little bit is that at the end of the day, that has to be still kind of a satisfying and fun movie. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, it's still gonna be like you're gonna care about these dumbasses a little bit, and you're gonna be like, all right, like. Ooh, things are getting pretense. The, are they going to get out of this? And, you know, it's a movie. They they will. And I can see how you end up in a place where it's like, well, that's basically endorsing. You know, that's basically endorsing. The the they, they win. The Starship Troopers win. That's that's basically showing like the the fascism is is awesome. And it's like, I think I think you're profoundly misreading it. I think it's so funny that it ends with Neil Patrick Harris in SS uniform going, it's afraid. And everyone starts cheering wildly. <laughs> like, again, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's with Starship Troopers. It's one of those movies where I just I, I sometimes wonder how many people how people so often like kind of get that twisted. Helldivers 2 is a different thing because like ultimately it is a game about like going down to a planet and kicking ass and dropping a whole bunch of ordnance on bugs and robots. Um, but you know, we love we love shooting things in video games, and we love we love a we we love a good whimsical rapper. Uh, and <laughs> you know, I think Helldivers is clearly dialed in on the 
right level of ridiculousness and coolness uh, for for where it's at. I think there's a reason the intro cinematic plays every single time and not just the first time you boot the game, right? Mm. It's like, look, don't forget. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. We'll remind you every single time. Right. And the brash tactic stuff coming up where it's like, yeah, like all these people are like, you know, this entire thing is 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 dumbassery uh, and, you know, very, very circular. I haven't. It has some of the best barks in a video game that I've experienced <laughs> that are not only really funny, but also like informative. So I'd be like, oh, my gosh, like freedom's going down. I'm like, are you OK? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, uh, it. Yeah, go on, Kato. I was just going to ask you, Rob, uh, so when was the last time you were in and what's the state of the map? Because I was super curious if it's changed yet. So I'm beginning to feel like, uh, not beginning, like I just don't think those little meters and such for how the war is going. Yeah. I don't think that's real. Like I think it's going to go the way it's meant to. Because like after a couple of days, I log in and I'm like, Oh, we've we've created the barrier line. Uh, we're, we're defending the barrier systems against the terminids, yeah. uh, which is the the little bugs. And like the day before, I've been in there, and it's like that entire sector was full of planets that were getting rolled up. Uh, the the meter was like the bugs are winning, and mm-hmm. then it was like, well, we've stabilized and we're fine. So I suspect like if that's going to be a, a like a the meta game element, it either isn't really on the level, or it's just it's a thing that's going to be controlled centrally by arrowhead effectively to create sure. the story um what is very very cool is the day night cycle and weather effects completely transform these planets these mm-hmm. battles uh i was on a planet i think that i've been on a few times before uh playing with a friend and there was this fog that had rolled in. It was the densest fog that I'd seen in the game and it completely transformed the experience. Like suddenly it was, we had gone down there with the usual kit where it's like, all right, uh, you know, they were, they used the, 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 the marksman rifle with the, with the scope. I, you know, had my usual, my usual gear. You could not see anything past shotgun blast range. Uh, so you're just sort of navigating by like, uh, like, you know, nav marker and such and bugs just coming out of the mist. Uh, and that stuff is really cool where it's like the like they're very clever about you're gonna be doing a lot of the same stuff again and again in this game. The twists they can add to a match are are really interesting and, and make it really fun. So uh yeah, I, I think it's I, I think provided the matchmaking situation can level off a little bit. Like it's the thing I look forward to playing a lot of in the next couple of weeks, but I have not Tried to play it much in the last couple of days because the login situation is is so bad. Um, fortunately, you don't have to fight to get into every every game. Uh, Patrick and Janet, what have you been playing of late? Uh, Janet, I've been playing the new Final Fantasy, uh, the uh, freshly spoiled on the front page of the New York Times <laughs> Final Fantasy. Do we think that uh, could be spoiled? Yes, it was on a T-shirt but, in like the early two thousands. Yeah, that, but like so. Okay, here's I'm gonna so set some ground rules. Back. I'm gonna set I'm gonna set some ground rules for the sake of this podcast. Yeah. I, okay, do we want to have this discussion before we talk about rebirth, or do we want to talk about rebirth and then I talk about should, this? At look, the end? I think it's gonna be hard to talk meaningfully about rebirth without. No, we can. No, I don't think yeah, I don't think Janet are anywhere yeah. close. Yeah, we're right. good. Yeah, yeah. we're one hundred percent can. This game is fucking huge, Rob. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can talk yeah. about plenty of this game without touching on that. It's, 
Um, let's do the game first. Let's do the game, and then let's tail end that with the yeah. New York Times, New York Times stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm suspecting now that Jan and I are on the same, maybe on the same page. I'm yeah, <laughs> we're kind of on the same. So, well, so I'm pretty early in the game. There's a hand. I'm now thinking of what's There's a handful of chapters. No, there's, I mean, yeah. look, I, so Re- Re- Rebirth, uh, uh, broadly, you know, they're splitting up ha- Final Fantasy VII into three games, right? Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, Final Fantasy VII. Have they, they've, have they, they've said what the third game is called, right? Or no? Am I, I am I misremembering so. that? Reflections, um, Resurgence. <laughs> it, R, might, right? it might be something R. Um, but this largely takes place at the end of an early... Connor, you've just been playing Final Fantasy yeah. VII. How long does it take to get to the equivalent of beating you know, remake, which is like 40, 50 hours, unless you're like completionist, but you escape Midgar to get to the open world. Yeah. How quickly does that happen in the original game? From, from leaving Midgar to actually being in the open world? Or like from mean, starting at the game to from starting the game from start, world. you're, you're on the, tr- you're on oh, the train. Getting out of Midgar. How quickly do you get to the open world? Yeah. That's like, I don't know. Four hours, maybe, I guess. <laughs> okay, right. So they added a zero to right. Remake, yes, and then that's 40. what they ballooned out. <laughs> I love Remake. I think it's a great game. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, Rebirth essentially takes place in the wake of uh, yeah. of leaving Midgar, getting to the the open world. The grasslands uh, is like the first major area you get to. Um, and it's sort of this, well, I can't speak to what this encompasses as a middle chapter a the game's not out yet i don't want to spoil it b janet it sounds like you and i i think i'm 18 hours in i think you said you're 25 hours in we are both 40 20 yeah like still like feels wildly not a ton of story has happened for me yet i guess yeah. is what i'll say um huh. and it sounds like you are in a, in a similar place uh with the game so far yeah, well, I guess it is fair to say that we are, you and I, I believe, are doing more of a completionist run at this point, which also, like, bro, I looked at that trophy list, and I do not stand a chance to get that. So I'm not doing the so trophy upsetting. list. It's so so I, I'm I'm not doing that either. That I, just, I just decided to look. I'm like, it's just two guys talking, you know? This game like, has <laughs> other meters that you can fill to a yeah. very satisfying degree that will unlock trophies along the way. But if Whoa, you not- we got a back-of-the-box quote here, folks. <laughs> Well, honestly, though, like it feels so good to do though. Like I have not, I, I, I. Last night, I finished the first major area of the game, a place, an area called the Grasslands. Um, yeah. It's a big, grassy, mountainous area um, that encompasses the first couple chapters of the game. That just has the first like one chapter. This like the yeah. second chapter. Like chapter one is essentially the demo. There's like a little bit more, but mm-hmm. that's basically the demo that. You can play now if you're listening Which to is the, the show when it comes the, out. The Nibelheim. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Which oh, chapter correct. two is really just, like, I have to kind of lightly double check my note. It's really just pretty much the grasslands. Hey. Yes. Yeah. Is this a spoiler? Is Fort Condor what? there? Does it exist in the game? Yeah. Is it real? That's been in trailers. <laughs> yeah. The little the game where it's can like. Can you save the cute. giant condor? And you like, they're like little cute things and you move them around and you battle that's in there i just did that really recently um, oh oh the the, ga- the like there. little mini game that was in the dlc yeah, yeah. i meant the yeah. actual fort oh in, i, in the I mean I, I, I have not gotten to that okay. yet. I can't like speak, i can't i can't even spoil it for you i don't yeah that's uh, why because that's I could, like i couldn't say after after you leave midgar it's like second step like there's one thing you do the nibelheim thing and then you leave and like fort condor's right there basically like it's like 
The Grasslands is huge. It feels <laughs> akin, but I mean this in a positive way. Uh-huh. So what, the story out of Dragon Age, Dragon Age Inquisition was like, don't get stuck in the Hinterlands, right? Hinterlands right. was that opening area. You could spend dozens and dozens of hours and essentially burn out on a lot of the game by trying to maximize all of the side content that was here. I have had a tremendous time, a really enjoyable time doing everything that is to offer in the grasslands. A huge part of that is because like, I think the writing in this game is really strong. Um, It's a very funny game. Uh, I like a lot of the side characters. What you end up doing in a lot of the side missions is not necessarily, does not necessarily amount to the most interesting. It's a lot of, you found another life stream. You found another, uh, 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 you know, a place of worship for a Titan that unlocks a, a weakness for them, like sort sort of thing. But I have really enjoyed exploring the areas and just sort of luxuriating in them. Like J- Janet, are you finding that you're doing a lot of the same? Oh yeah, like this is um, I would I don't know if I'm quite as glowing on the writing portion though. I do enjoy the little adventure that I'm on with my little pals. I think too, a lot of different things are working for me in this one because this crew has kind of been through at least some stuff together. It feels like a more relaxed vibe and a more leisurely vibe. While the first game was a lot of very, to me, like quick and ham fisted dialogue. It's like Barrett is always yelling about the planet and and mother earth. And I'm like, all right, like I get it. And here it's like, we're kind of ruminating a bit more. We're letting things, you know, at one point he talks about his daughter and it's like, man, like when I'm a parent, you know, like I'm a parent, I can't imagine like, how, you know, it's, this is like a side content story thing where he's thinking about being a parent and like what it means to let your kid leave. And he's like, you know, I always said that I'd never hold my kid back. But honestly, like when I think about it, can I really, you know, walk the walk? And Cloud's like, dude, your kid's like four years old. Like we're like, you know, you got so much time. He's like, I know. But like, it's little stuff like that where I'm like, cool. We're getting more flavors than just the here's the character and here's like the the energy I want you to immediately get, but also without any backstory. Like I found I felt very fish out of water with Remake. Remake felt like a game where if you knew the characters already, you're like, oh, my God, everyone clap. It's Aerith. Oh, we love her. And I'm like, this is just someone selling flowers. <laughs> Who is this person? I do not understand. And then eventually. I want to I want to uh, yes. like, s- slow the brakes here for a second. So I'm getting I'm picking up that you have not played the original, like Correct. your relationship with Final Fantasy seven begins and ends with with remake. Yeah. OK. All right. That's uh, that's yeah. that's interesting to, Very... to, to note. Uh, yeah. I, so, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I looked up my thing and it actually took me eight hours to get out last this Sorry. most recent okay. time. Shut up. But Siri. still, like, not and for a game as no. long as Final Fantasy VII. Not, yeah. not, but not, a t- not a ton of time. What's interesting about what Janet just said, literally, right, is like the first eight hours of that game, um, you are getting kind of broad strokes of those characters, even in the original, right? And you start getting backstory after you leave Midgar. Like, you you get more depth after you leave Midgar. But in the original game, it's like, if you, like, really book it, you could probably do it in six to ten hours. Like, six hours. I, it was closer on to eight. Um, which, you know, the pacing of, like, how you're getting that information about characters, like, changes a lot of how you've you end up feeling about them, which is like, well, and it's because, and we'll yeah. get into this more fully in the discussion after discussing the game, like rebirth remake are games in conversation 
with itself as Mm -hmm. a story. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think that informs like totally understandable reasons that Janet, if you're coming into it cold, like knowing Final Fantasy, like you probably know who Cloud and Aerith are just because of cultural osmosis, but don't have a relationship with the game. Uh, It's it's so. Did remake work for you then? Like, did you enjoy it? Not story wise. So it was just an obligation of like, this game is big. I need to kind of wrap my head around it. But like, it's not as though it landed with you. uh, Not not story wise. Like the the mechanics, even I've, I've warmed on the game now that time has passed because I've, Mm -hmm. the further I get away from those initial mechanics, I'm like, yeah, I guess the the combat's pretty good. Not going to lie, but the story sucks. Like that was my vibe. (laughs) And now I still feel that way. But I'm like, you know what? The combat was really good. And maybe I was not too harsh on the story, but I'm like, I I can get, now that I've played more, you know, traditional RPG anime, you know, I've done Yakuza Like a Dragon. I've done Kingdom Mm -hmm. Hearts. Like I've seen more of what the culture is. And I'm like, okay, the motorcycle thing's cheesy, but I get why it's in, like I get get the energy a little bit more, you know? But no, it, it just is doesn't, operating on its own frequency. I that fundamentally is, that is think sure. that game narratively does not work if you do not have that past because you're unable to like impose actual meaning onto it. And I feel like one of my frustrations in having discussions on that game with longer time fan people that like know the original mm-hmm. is I feel like they are fun, which is fair because you can't like erase the knowledge. I feel like they're fundamentally incapable of understanding how random the the whole experience feels if you don't know those people and there's still some fun times like it was fun watching everyone dance like that's just the good that's just good gaming you know (laughs) but like stuff like oh like like again i just don't have like the history it's like if it's like if a friend came from out of town like if me and patrick were hanging out and then patrick's friend came by and patrick's like man dan's awesome right and i'm like i mean I literally just like he just said hello and then he left. So I don't I don't know. I, I would mean, never spring Dan Reichert on you like that. that that's look, just I, that's I, just I thought of naming a random white man. That's the first name I came up with. Shout <laughs> to Dan Reichert. But right, it's like okay, and it's like wait, you don't get why Dan's amazing. Like yeah, like it's so it meant so much when he was. I was like okay, he he wasn't here for that long, and I've I've never met this man before. So that's sort of the issue with with remake for me narratively rebirth is like oh my god ever it finally even in the demo frankly things start to click where it's like oh that's why like we got those weird there's like so many flashback moments that happen in the first game remake where they get contextualized literally in the demo where i'm like that's why tifa looked like a cowboy that one time because if you don't know that you're like why did i see her as a cowboy why is this happening why Mm -hmm. is like why is everything on fire? And then Sephiroth slowly walking away. Why do I care about Sephiroth? Why do I hate Sephiroth? Why is he evil? And the answer I get from fans is like, well, he's like the most evil guy ever. And I'm like, I, he's just a man with really long hair in the first game. Like you don't get a lot of that. And I think rebirth for me, so many things that are working are answers and payoffs to that new foundational knowledge for like a newcomer. Mm -hmm. But also it's, it can be so slow rolled that it's like, Hey, we're hanging back. We're like sitting in, you know, the combat, the activities and the stores of I don't know if how, how the story is going to go, if the pacing is going to work, because it is very like not a lot has happened. You know, I mean, like literally chapters like, in. nothing has I, I feel like I'm about to hit some major story beats. But because you kind of get dropped into this big open space that I, get, you, I don't have to spend this time. Yeah, you, you, it is very easy to follow some markers 
push along, but it is so easy to be tempted into doing these other things. And the game, I think whether this is addressing Janet, your experience as a criticism or just it's a natural evolution of, of the sequel having a more fellowship of the ring, like big, like open, like wide open journey. So one of the, the systems the game has now is you have like kind of relationships with each character. It's unclear to me what, what sort of depth is here. What is a, like essentially if you hit the X button, which uh, you know uh, brings up your different commands, like in the when you're out in the open field, you can cast a spell or use an item or change your party lineup. It also puts a little emoji face over all the characters, mm-hmm. um, which are like neutral, sad, or happy. Um, and as far as I can tell, just do all of the quests that are available to you because different quests are tailored to different party members. Yeah. And if you do that, they'll be happy because you did something with them. It's it's unclear to me if later in the game you can make choices that are more binary and that you will have split relationships with different different characters. I sort of hope so. I hope there's actually I some mean, friction and consequences to that, that as opposed ex- to... That existed in the, in the original, right? It was very light, but there were different... It's mostly it's dialogue differences <laughs> that happen. But I mean, eventually. but does it have? Did it actually say Aerith is happy with you? Aerith is. It sad would with never you? tell you that, but those things were being. Well, here tracked. it does. Right here, here you've got a, a little smiley face that tells you where where you're at. But I haven't had an instance in which I've made someone sad. I've always just brought people from neutral to happy right. because I did a a flower side quest with Aerith to help with these two people. Because of their yeah. sad dead parents. <laughs> Though, <laughs> like, to be clear, one thing that's kind of, which I don't know, it's up for debate on different people want different things from their games. So like, you know, some people, a big conversation around this game has been like the crafting aspect that they added in, you know, they've marketed and people are like, oh, do I want to craft? And if, so that's always going to be, I wouldn't say contentious, but like different people are drawn to different systems. I think there's a me, lot of systems in this game. Yes. Uh, <laughs> with the relationship <laughs> stuff, I wish it's like fine because it's not bothering anybody, but I do wish that like they maybe went more in on it because even what you're describing, like to add slight clarification, like it's a quest that like Aerith cares about. And in some degree you do like you pick the flowers and Aerith is like, let me know if you need help. Cause like, I know my flowers, but it's not necessarily as I think, um, intimate of a setup as it might be in a different game like the combat you might do along the way, like heading there. It's not like you're only doing that with Aerith. It's not like everyone's hanging back and you're just, with Aerith. So I do feel like there's a it's more of like a co- like a relationship coding over like it doesn't go it like as deep into like the combat mechanics or the activity mechanics as you might it's expect. Not persona or yes. anything like and that. And I think part there's of that's to like maintain the freedom of the open world. You know, so there's a give and take there, like there's pros and cons, but it is very like fairly light. So we'll see. And so know. that's and that at least that's where it is right now, right? I I yeah. I they give no impression. 20 hours in that like, Hey, these like, you're filling in social links with these they did characters that are going to have consequences. That, that, later. that like you'll get to pick who you take on some date to some place later, which that, also yeah, I'm wondering, here's something that I'm struggling <laughs> yeah. with Patrick. Like, like I, like I saw Aerith in town like early on and I was like, she's like, Oh, do you want to go to the top of the, whatever the thing? I was like, yeah, sure. I got some time to kill. You can say no, I guess. Like well, here's if you the say, thing. But why Here's would you? Yes, because I feel like saying no is rude. But then later, like, she's like, oh, me and Cloud were on a date. And then Tifa's like, a date? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, like, that's not my bitch. Like, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> but, but there's a dollar option for, wow. like, I, 
don't even fuck with her like that. Like, I don't even like her. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I was just, you know, a person trying to be a good friend. I just went to a clock tower, man. It's just a clock tower. It's the story of many a trash boyfriend. Hey, I'm just a good friend. (laughs) Yeah, Cloud, so I, don't I don't know. I don't know if you want Cloud to be your boyfriend. Cloud's Cloud's got some issues that he's that he's that he's got to work. Well, out. but I am Cloud um, though, so I'm trying to get. You know, mm, I'm not Tifa. If I was Tifa, it's like a whole different game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because Rob, when you and I were talking about Banishers, that's a game that uh, really slow rolls its combat and its systems to a detrimental effect. It's it's like I think there is something more interesting here, but it's like I gotta. I got to look off into the horizon and, and hope it's there 15 hours from now. Five Fantasy seven rebirth is like the complete opposite of that. Every 30 seconds, it's like, yo, let's put up some mint. Like, Hey, new system alert. Like, yay. System, system, system. Uh, it is, it is, it is frankly sort of overwhelming at first with the amount of here's how this new thing works. Like every time, you switch to a new character in the first couple of hours. It's like, yo, this character functions a little bit differently. Like, here's what Square does. Here's what Square does when you hold it down. Here's what this other system does. And now what you end up learning pretty quickly is it's it's all just sort of like hit square, hold square, dodge, and then hit square. And it's, I mean, it's not that simple, but it's also not not that that simple. But it this game has like, like the, yeah, the, the item crafting, the materia system, uh, the uh, skill trees that are like syn- they call them synergy abilities between mm-hmm. uh, characters, which are dip. There are two levels of synergy abilities. There are yeah. synergy abilities you can do while you're blocking that are like little team ups with your with your characters, and then you build up a meter, and they can do almost summon equivalent uh, of of synergy abilities. That's in addition to your magic, but your magic is not just the materia that you have equipped. It lets you cast say fire. You can also uh, learn through a weapon skill to let you cast fire on an attack that doesn't use MP, but also can act as a staggering uh, uh, function. <laughs> I'm saving for, like, so much MP in this game. <laughs> yeah, and it's it gets pretty complex, pretty fast, uh, and can be it can feel pretty overwhelming at first when you are trying to juggle three different characters, and, and you start with an expanded party. Right, this isn't a game where hey. Here's There's two four characters. We're gonna, we're yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna build up over time. Instead, it's like you've got Cloud, Tifa, Aerith, Barrett, and Red X, right, right off the bat. Um, and you're you can switch between them at will. The game does a really funny bit where uh, this makes me laugh every time. And uh, Janet is so you pick parties of three, um, and then you can swap between them seamlessly, not in battle. But outside of battle, um, so you just like hit X and then hit L1, R1, and you can change your preset like three different uh, uh, party lineups. Um, but then in combat, like the other ca- the other characters are here, like they're yeah. there, like firing and like not functionally doing anything, but like Barrett's off like going, <laughs> it's like, buddy, you're not actually in the fight, but they are they are presented aesthetically, dynamically. As though they are participating, even though they're not actually doing jack to the to the enemy. I think it was kind of a neat idea to have them visually present, even though the, you're not actually controlling them in the midst of the fight, which is a fun way of handling just the arbitrary party size of of the game. Yeah, um, I there's man, there's so much to unpack, which is funny because we're only like because what chapter are you in? I'm on chapter four. 
I'm right. I'm right up to going into was it Junon? It's like a, it's like a cave um, or whatever. Yeah, is, you're probably uh, maybe did chapter two. I don't know. So it's I, like, no, I'm up through. I'm up through chapter four. Like I made it to okay. Junon. Like, okay, I'm, yeah, I just, yeah. I just haven't chapter? actually gone like up the the hill. Yeah, like, I, 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 I did up through. I got. I did the. I did the the mine. Yeah. Got to Junon and then can proceed in the story. But then I looked at all those yellow dots that I hadn't filled with objectives in the grasslands. I was oh, like, so Hey, did you walk back through the back. mine? No. If you if you um. If you if you find the chocobo, okay, so okay, so you did go. If to you Juno. find the chocobo in no, yeah, I, okay, so there's a sequence that happens where so you uh, this game has really good uh, traveling uh, bits, like it's a big ass world, but the game is constant, like basically any major marker plus also minor markers like these chocobo stops, they're dotted all over the landscape, and the game lets you not only fast travel at the click of a button. But then even for those fast travel points, it says, hey, do you want to show up there walking or like already on a chocobo? Like it's su- like it's super slick. It's really nice. But then there's a sequence where you go through a mithril mine, come out the other end, and you can't fast travel back. You got to like walk through that mine. I was like, well, I ain't, I ain't doing that. Uh, and then if you do go through a little sequence up, a, up ahead and do a side quest, you can re-unlock yeah. fast travel sort of arbitrarily. But in my mind, I was like, are there really people who are going to go back through that mine? I, I think feel they're bad are, for you. So if you spend 20 minutes, you get that fast travel. But I guess maybe is, there might be people who go back through that mine. Okay, I didn't go back to the mine, but I could have. it could have happened to me. It could have happened. So <laughs> let, me, let me tell you my story. about. So one of my gripes with this game, and I think a lot of, especially open, you don't even have to really be open world, but it's often open world games. It has that issue of letting... And it's tough because it's like, well, you want people to have freedom, but then it's like maybe sometimes maybe freedom was a mistake. But here's the thing, (laughs) because you start off this game in the grasslands, right? And Mm -hmm. you're just walking. Tell me why. Like I was I was walk. I got my steps in that day because I was already exploring the area. Like there's like a windmill Mm -hmm. and there's like a couple also too to like, okay, there's so much to unpack here to zoom out, zoom in real quick. I like this game. I'm enjoying the flow of it. It is in a way kind of like basic like with its open worldness but i like it like i feel like i here's the issue with me in this game i basically am in a um what do they call it like i'm in like a final fantasy pyramid scheme i'm like but wait (laughs) if you do this mission then you unlock this thing you know i can i can craft enough my craft level boom it's up to eight now i can make the magic bangle go get the so i'm like i'm in it like anyway but that's a me problem Mm -hmm. so i'm walking around hanging out I spend a long time playing that way. And then, uh, mm-hmm. like, shortly after, you eventually get, like, a chocobo, which makes travel walking around, like, way faster. And I'm like, damn, if I knew that this was coming so soon, I would have just beelined for getting the chocobo. Boom, history repeats itself. I get out the mine. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I can't fast travel back. That sucks. I'm not done with the grasslands. I just felt like progressing the story a bit. I get the chocobo just randomly. Like, I'm doing everything out of order. I'm all messed up. Like, I get the chocobo. <laughs> I, like, steal it. Then I meet the guy who's like, oh, yeah, like, you can go get my chocobo. I'm like, I already got this fucker. He's he's already he's already squad. What do you mean? And he's like, OK, well, my wheel of the thing fell off. And I'm like, cool. I like meet the guy. I get the wheel parts. But I guess I don't maybe realize I have that. I don't know. I don't finish that quest line. I do a bunch of other quests. Eventually finish it. And he's like, yeah, now you can fast travel back. And I, I've been playing for at least like five plus hours, not being able to fast travel back to the other region because it's like so there's. 
and then there's other stuff too where like I was exploring so much, but I like I saw a crystal, but I didn't talk to Chadley yet. So then Chadley can't <laughs> analyze it. So maybe just be like Chadley until, shut the fuck shut okay, the fuck up. I figured up, out Chadley. how to get Chadley to shut up, by the way. Chadley Wow. I hate I've never hated anyone more than Chadley. If Ch- if wow. Chadley has no haters, I am dead. This, this robotic little punk needs a virus. Man. He this robot boy Everyone like hates this it's a lot of things. Child. <laughs> it's a lot of things. Press B to bully. It's a it's a lot of things. One, he's kind of a shit talker, isn't he? He's kind of like, oh, I need you to Damn. live in the battle simulation to get the data. Maybe you didn't know that because you died like a punk ass bitch. You know? oh, what? Like, anyway, there's that. There's the fact that when you re- want to retry a simulator, you can't change out your teams, or your material or anything. So you got to back out, hear them again, go back in. But the number one thing that I think, and I think people are going to be Googling immediately to like mute Chadley. I don't think it's just me. Is with everything you do, like one of my issues with this game and, and one of the ways that I feel like it is kind of rudimentary in how it experiences open world where it's like it's an open world which means like there's eight things splattered around they're all kind of similar but like you like Mm -hmm. it because you like the game this game is afraid to let you sit in silence because everything you do chadley's like this is this thing this is that thing oh we now unlocked a new region so it's like i i know what the towers are you don't have to tell me every time i unlock a tower what the tower does i know what the like in some of its lore that you know maybe other people will be more excited to engage with but it just feels like that like open world supposed to be seamless and i feel like i'm constantly reminded that like you checked a box you checked a box you checked another box um and that's kind of i think a way that this feels a little stilted i I do but like you don't gotta gotta keep telling me so for chadley here's how i muted chadley i figured it out because he comes out of the controller and I was like, I can't stand this man. Oh, you got to turn that shit off. Yes. Like you have, like, first yeah. thing you do in the game. Not like how to min-max my character yes. or I want this material. No, you shut Chadley the fuck up from coming out of that dual sense before you break it. Well, no. What I learned is I leave him coming out of the dual sense, but then I mute the dual sense audio. And now he doesn't shit. talk anymore. And it's so shit. good. Honestly, like, I don't do God content on, like, my site. I think I'm going <laughs> to write a how to mute Chadley article. Just to, like, just for the culture. Like, not even for the SEO. Because I, I... <laughs> I, yeah, I hate Chadley, but you can silence him. So that's what I did. Hilarious. Uh, okay, because he comes he, and he blares out of the controller so loudly. Um, and then there's his friend, which is basically just him. <laughs> some other ro- I'm Well, yeah, this is why Chadley should be bullied. Because Chadley is bully, bullying another robot. Uh, he looks identical to Chadley, talk- but with like a bob. <laughs> that's it. Uh yeah, uh, yeah, it, I, yeah. I, I am finding the checklist nature of this game, which is not usually my thing. I have found it very, very satisfying. I don't yeah. know if I'll like do all of the areas the way I did the grasslands. My guess, like the way I usually funnel through games like this, is I'm very taken in completing the first couple areas, mm. and then as the story gains momentum, I have less and less interest in doing the checklist stuff as the as the game uh progresses but so far i have i'm not i'm not trying to overstate like the quality of the side quest i think they're i think they're fine but like i have found the game to be surprisingly funny i i do think the characters you meet on these side quests even though the actions you take are usually just another fetch quest um I found the characters to be like very funny and charming the game swears a surprising amount we're not quite at final fantasy 16 territory yeah. where we're dropping like f-bombs all the time in a way that feels edgelordy uh it, it feels normal for yeah it feels for, very for natural the world uh it feels very natural um um but also like 
mature in a in a fun way. Like it feels like they're letting the language speak what feels right as opposed to to constraining themselves. Um, and I like the combat. Um, I I really warmed to, to that in in remake, and I I find it very exciting and fun in this one as well. It's 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 pretty dense, um, but also not. You know, the, the minute to minute battles aren't that tough, but I do like that. Like when you fight the big snake, I forget the, the name of that, yeah. that boss, but it's 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 the first major boss battle that you have in the game. I mean, it it's not quite a Dark Souls like a check to the player where uh, it's like, hey, have you not been paying attention at all? Then you're not going to get past this. But it's it's kind of that like you need to understand like what the weaknesses are how to use the synergies between your characters, take advantage of stuff like that. And um, I found that to be like a pretty thrilling uh, to fight sequence. Um, yeah. But I, if you didn't like the combat and remake, it's just a, like more systems for that style of combat. So if you didn't gel with that the first time around, it's not like they've thrown, thrown that out and tried something different. It's just a denser version of what was already present in, in remake. But it's funny because uh, and maybe this is a good uh, uh, spot to pivot to the conversation about uh, the New York Times stuff, uh, which is interesting relative to Janet's uh, lack of experience with the yeah. original game. But like like Janet, I said, like I've experienced very little story in this game. I don't have to I don't have to look up the embargo sheet from Square. I got nothing to say about the story because I've spent 20 hours in it yeah. and not much has happened of like the the main the main plot. Um, but to to catch people up to to speed, um, the the New York Times on their straight ass front page um, put, uh, and I will, I am going to say here because we're gonna have a conversation about it. But like, if you're like Janet and you stayed pure and you don't want to know, a no, major I know story this beat also that I know, I know you do. It's the only thing I, I, know. I just mean, I mean for the, I mean yes. for the audience. Like, I'm, I'm being respectful of if you are don't want to know like what's happened in set the original seven. Somehow you still don't know jump out here because we're going to spoil it and unpack it um, and and unpack whether it's a spoiler. But if you perceive it to be a spoiler, uh, I, I, I don't want you to uh, you can you can skip right ahead to, to the end. But uh, let's see. Let me pull up the actual headline here. Um, fine. This is a push notification that went out to if you have push notifications <laughs> on the New York Times, which is so fucking funny. What Final Fantasies, quote, rebirth. One of the most consequential scenes in video game history is being remade. Will the creators kill Aerith again? Um, and then there is a version of that that also appeared on the front page of their website. I don't know if that actually appeared on the physical newspaper uh, as well. But it certainly kicked off a conversation that I think is worth having in conjunction with Janet and I's time with, with Rebirth, which is, yes, the – go ahead, cut The The – did you read the title? I don't know if it's different in the print version and the website version, but the website version is the shocking death that has devastated gamers for decades. Like they know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, well, funny enough, that's like pairing that with a screenshot of her is at least uh, couching it a tiny bit more oh, no, the, than the push notification. The subhead's does. the same. The subhead is exactly what you just read. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Very, very funny. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, again, like Janet, I can't even speak to this. I'm sure it is literative. I wouldn't do this even if it wasn't in the embargo sheet of what square would or would not let us talk about. I have not gotten to an equivalent scene in Rebirth, I can't speak to how Rebirth handles or does not handle 
the sequence in in the sequel. But it did kick off a, a conversation of like, what is what is a spoiler? What are like statute limitations on a spoiler? Rob, I, I I know you had some thoughts on that when we started with here, but I wanted to to pitch it to you here as we bring this to a to a finish. Yeah, I mean. Look, I, I think it's fine to be like, I don't I actually don't know what everyone's talking about and I don't want to know what happened originally. And I think that's a perfectly fine perspective to take. I think, you know, it's I understand why someone would want to pursue that. But I also think when you have something as widely known as this, like the risk of reality isn't going to it's very silly to put ourselves in a position where it's like, well, we have to for the people who don't know this, we all have to act act as like experienced sommeliers to make sure that like they don't get their impressions aren't contaminated by the common knowledge that the rest of us are going to be sharing while we talk about this. I think that's what this is the this is the territory that comes with being a really notable work in any field. Uh, people approaching it long after the fact, after it's become sort of a regular touchstone, the odds of you not knowing what happens in it are pretty low if you manage to not encounter that information you want to stay that way uh cool but everyone else is probably going to just want to have the conversation about the thing uh you know and especially get into the signature moments uh that you know stand out so yeah it's just like it's it just sort of returns to a place i'm you know i'm pretty used to when it comes to the spoiler stuff which is that I don't think it's that big a deal, uh, but I think it gets very silly when you're talking about something as widely known as, uh, you know, what like is Aerith's death in Final Fantasy VII. This is mimetic in in the history of games. Uh, I I think the notion that like, you know, <laughs> the New York Times just put it out there on the on the on, on the page. It's like, yeah, because I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things people want to talk talk about with this game, like. Mm-hmm. One could argue for a lot of people revisiting it, one of the big things they're going to be excited about and curious about is how it's going to approach, you know, the the, the death of Aerith and how the game's relationship to canonicity is going to, to affect that. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, I think it's fine to just want to avoid the spoiler. I think it's very silly to bend over backwards trying to avoid touching on it at all. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that that's ultimately where I think I land too. I think the part that made me raise like a twitch a little bit was like the 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 headline, the most shocking death in video, like or whatever you had read. Akata was like, that makes sense. That's yeah. a great headline. It's a teaser. The thing that just made me cackle was the the push notification. That's will also the subhead of like, Aerith will again? the creators kill Aerith again? Like, there's a way to get across the yeah. finish line with. Setting up, even including the screenshot of her, I think is is pretty 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 fair game. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I just like as a I don't know. I'm sensitive to spoilers. I like respect him. Like I just thought for me, I was like that's just, like it's just it made me laugh. I was like wow, just no no like no fucks given on this whatsoever. Just tens of millions of people with their iPhone 15 Pros just getting a will the creators kill Aerith again uh, image. Uh, I thought uh, made me laugh because you're right, Rob. I mean the reason it has lived on, the reason it's one of the most well known scenes in all of video games is because it's so much bigger than just the death of a major character in an important video game. Like it was a milestone in storytelling in video games. And part of why it has such resonance 
and why you'd be so curious about what does it mean? Because Rebirth is, you know, we'll see where Final Fantasy VII ends up. It is presented by the end of Remake as essentially a sequel to Final Fantasy VII or lives in tandem with the timeline of Final Fantasy VII. And it's not a re it's called Remake, but they Remake may end up just being for branding purposes as opposed to actually in line with the truthfulness of um, what is actually occurring across well, uh, this. Something's being remade it differently. Yeah, I was going to say sure, something. Yeah. I'm not saying you couldn't be. I'm not saying, yeah, yeah. The but I think when we think remade. of, when we think of the term remake, it is something about like, you take Final Fantasy VII and make it look prettier again with combat systems for modern audiences. And they did, they did do that, but they are also doing something a little more interesting. And what makes Final Fantasy VII itself fascinating, it is often remakes are handed to a younger generation of creatives uh, and they are reinterpreting or remaking often a work that inspired them. That is happening to a huge degree. There's been really, I highly recommend, I, I don't have the name of the creative director uh, or like the, I, I forget exactly how the delineation of, of staff works on, on these Final Fantasy seven games, but there is a younger developer who is like the quote director of this, this series, or at least rebirth. And they've talked a bunch of times about, the conversations and tensions they've had working with like uh, uh, the like Tetsuya Nomura, uh, Katasi, who was a producer on the original, and how they have conversations about what was important to them and what is important to audiences and what's important in this version of the story. And so you have the original creative staff that made Seven revisiting their own work through a story that's being largely made by younger staff inspired by the work they made decades ago dropping into this environment. It it makes it one of the most fascinating cultural objects in video games. And the reason I've been so excited about it is that it's choosing to forge a path. I, I don't know if I'll like the story by the end, but goddamn, it's way more fucking fascinating than just retelling the story of seven across three games in a decade because the budgets of games have spiraled out of control. Um, and so having the conversation about what does it mean for them to revisit this consequential moment in games is 100% uh, the kind of conversation that you should, I mean, Rob, like, you know, behind the scenes, like you and I were even talking about like a certain pitch we'd been hearing about, like about the can like the, the canonical nature and the storyline uh, uh, canonization in, in, in rebirth and seven, even though we don't worry about traffic or, think like hitting embargoes that's not really the, the world we're in anymore it was still was a conversation of well do you time a piece talking about stuff like that to the embargo the release date and that's more about getting it in the conversation correctly and then it is you know about a quote spoiler uh necessarily but it it makes for a fascinating setup um for sure well i think like with a piece like that in particular it's what's going to promote the most interesting conversation like right all, like and, and that we we have the luxury of being in that position where it's like okay what's going to be the thing that's most interesting to read uh you know here and that might not be the embargo with all its restrictions let's talk around the big thing here you know we want other people to experience it right like right, right now we are like jan and i are you know uh I don't know, a couple thousand people that have like gotten early ac access to the game. You want people to yeah. be able to fully engage with the work because they've also experienced it for themselves. And like we said, this is not a short 
this is not a short game. My my guess is I'm looking at a, you know, 60 hours like at minimum to yeah. to get to to the end, depending on how fast I I funnel myself uh, through it. But um, yeah. Um, and I'm really I I really thought like <laughs> I thought you'd be further along. We'd probably be getting into this, but game big, Mm-mm. game big, game, yeah. game big. Uh, so um, we will also you know. Uh, that, we will remain unspoiled about your reaction to the big to to the big moment because uh, you haven't had it, had it yet. And we, I mean, we think that's where the game ends too, right? Like that is likely. No idea. No, I don't know. Um, um, I thought those well, are the rumors. Where I don't remember enough of the latter half of Final Fantasy VII to have. Now, look, yes, if if you were look, like structuring an Empire Strikes Back. You're getting to Junon you know, at 20 hours in. If this game actually goes through the end of Final Fantasy VII, or if that pace keeps up, you're hitting that point in probably 60 hours. Yeah. Okay. Like, if it, if the All pace right. keeps the yeah. same, because Junon is like... Two hours after Midgar, maybe not. Not even. Yeah, they're all. I think just. Big, <laughs> like, I think all these regions are going to be. If you end up doing everything, each region is probably like ten hours or something. Because that's kind of the pace. Like, right. I'm at hour twenty-seven now in chapter four, which is just the second region, and that's in part because I went back to the other region to finish what I had the grasslands. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and yeah, sure. Just like Patrick, I probably will give up at some point, but I don't want to give up yet because. I'm having fun. And the rewards are really good. Uh, again, my pyramid scheme is running great. I'm getting, I'm getting all these unlocks. I'm leveling all this stuff. You up. Just, I mean, that's yeah. Every time you level up, you get, I mean, it's even like the, like the, the skill tree that they yeah. have, which is like, you're spending something called, uh, so there's AP that you are collecting to upgrade your material that happens passively in combat. And then as you level up, but then ugh, your characters level up, your weapons level up, yeah, <laughs> but also your book. party levels up. <laughs> Yes. And when your party levels up, you're getting access to something called SP. And those are like, I don't know what the acronyms, special points, skill points, maybe. But basically, you're putting that into a yeah. different skill chart that lets you unlock synergies with different characters. So, like, if you find as you're going through the game, man, I really like how these three characters play with one another. Um, you can specialize in unlocking synergies between them because those don't cost anything those are just yeah. your holding block and you can use them uh, right off the bat and thankfully because i'm so glad that most games are going this way they tell you up front hey are you upset you um you dumped points into that don't sweat it yeah you just, just take it off anytime. put it somewhere else like i'm so glad games are trending in that that direction because you can just sort of pick and, and maybe one last thing have you um I left the parties at their default. I just sort of been swapping between the three that it gave me up front. Did you customize the loadouts or did have you stuck oh, with them as it? Like what they have? Yeah. So oh, they yeah. give you three. You start, you, so you've messed with it? Like, well, do you, do you mean like, by lo- well, by loadouts, what do you mean? Because let me make sure that I'm. Oh, I mean like the part, like the, like the party structure where it's like you, like they give you, like you can uh, interchange like which three party members yeah. that you have. Like the defaults are Cloud, Tifa, Aerith. Yep. Cloud, Barrett, Red, and then Cloud, Red, Tifa? I think that might be I think I did definitely change them. I have I have okay. Cloud, Tifa, Aerith, Cloud, Barrett, Aerith, and I think maybe Cloud, I don't know, somebody, like Red's not getting a lot of play for me because I, I feel like, um, this is something that's kind of cool about, I think, the mechanical structure. Like, the characters definitely do play differently and serve different purposes like barrett's great at like long range and like he's kind mm-hmm. of op in my mind i i've been rolling with him a lot but red i think if you're a, 
a block Perry boy, Red's going to be a great friend. I'm not that person, even with the extra time block materia. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> like Red, I can't really get all the all the juice out of Red that I want to as gross as that well, sounds. He, his, but. his bit, the vengeance mode, like yes. there's a, so like Barrett has a, a mode, like you can hit triangle to like charge. Overcharge, yeah. Like a, a overcharge and that fills up. Um, uh, Red has what's called a vengeance mode and as you block slash parry, you can fill that up and it's like a, you know, an extra supercharged attack. It's very but also good. I, but, I, but I also I just find that I can't, I'm not using it that much either. Red, I'm definitely pre, like deprioritizing red. And I feel bad because the way that red looks like on a chocobo is like one of the funniest visuals <laughs> I've ever seen in a video game. It's so fucking funny. Um, but uh, I'm also just swapping between characters so often that I'm not even in fully engaging in a lot of block and parry because I'm usually just like, oh yeah, I'm not blocking. I'm usually dodging way. and then like trying to attack to get my, you know, uh, not AP, but the like the uh, like your limit break. The limit, yeah, they get no, to fill the bars. Yeah, just it's all filling, just bar. It's just bars I'm and just boxes. Bar. I'm filling bars and I'm and liking filling in the bars. And it's a great time. That it flows in very naturally. You know, as we kind of wind things down, a, a couple of final things I want to shout out about the game are, is one, and again, I wish they kind of held your hand into these things a little bit more mm-hmm. because I it, I took a long time to get to it, but it took me a while to do the battle simulation stuff. Like I knew what it was from the first game. Cool. But they have tutorials for the characters, which I was like, oh, like I was like 10 hours in. I'm like, let me do a tutorial. And I, I do think they do a good oh. job teaching you. Like that's where, that's where I felt like Red was a really incredible character because I got to learn how to Shit. use him. But I'm not, any of that. you should try it because I'm not good okay. at using Red. And it really shows you like, you're using red here. Here's how you do it. And that was really cool. But you can tell that it was meant to be like the first thing you do because they're like, at this point, you probably only have two abilities for cloud. I'm like, I got like 80, like, you know, <laughs> um, so that's cool. Wish they like funneled you there a little bit more. Um, one thing I do want to shout out with, cause I mentioned, I'm like, Oh, the open world structure, like in the side, they're, they're a little bit basic mm-hmm. and they are. But one thing that really surprised me and that makes me even more inclined to have a completionist run of this game is I did like I've been playing their little card game. Was it blood? Blood something? I don't know. Oh, Queen's Blood. Queen's Blood. Um, I got into that. I, oh, I can shit. play it. Surprisingly, it's fun. Ugh, I, enjoy it. I, I only know. did I to finish. It was driving me crazy. I, I did everything in the grasslands. Okay. And then so you have this like yellow meteor filling up with all the stuff you do on the map. Mm-hmm. But then there are uh, green quests like O of five. And then there's another icon next to that that's like O of three for Queen's Blood. Yeah, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna fill that. That's gonna stay O of three. No, I'm not gonna do. do, It's not that hard. It's fun. But but I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You could care that. But (laughs) one of the quests, four of five filled. What's this last quest I got to do? Some fucking bartender that wants you to go track down a card. Yeah, yeah. And you have to do, and you have to win. Yeah. Three Queen's Blood matches. That's what I was doing last night. I got to wow. a point where, okay, I will just do, sh- like, whatever the share function is on my PlayStation. I will give this to Kato. Yeah. Kato can log in <laughs> and do it. I did it. I did it. And I will say, I'm not a big card game person. I, kind of, I will be curious when you get to this yeah. what you what you make of it. I, I think it's a pretty well-made, like, car- it's, it's fun. Nice. It's like kind of a uh, uh, territory. Like, it's a, it's a card game, but you are, like... Controlling territory on like mm. a small board, um, 
and as you control that territory, how do you feel about it compared to uh, the Fort Condor minigame? Didn't touch it. Didn't play. Yeah, it. Didn't I like to. the blood oh, one once. more. I got to the Fort Condor one barely. Um, so Patrick will be there in like ten hours. You know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> basically how it goes. Um, I got to it. Oh my god, Kato. I'm mm. so fucking bad at this game. Like I struggled so much. I don't uh, know. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so bad at it. Maybe I'll eventually learn it. But the reason I bring it up, just real quick, is um, I've been doing all the um, Queen's Blood stuff. And at one point, like I did one of the Queen's Blood things. And then like you get like this little cutscene, And it's like, ooh, like, and, and I don't think it's going to like, you know, change obviously the trajectory of the story or something. Like obviously if it's side content, it's meant to be missable and like a lot of people might not see it but i was really surprised that like this sort of trivial little like here's our you know everyone wants to be gwen right like okay sure like actually had some have a narrative payoff and i was really surprised by that so i'm hoping they they put more of that in but i do think there's besides the thrill of the chase what you get also very cool so that's kind of what's been keeping me so engrossed in doing everything like i feel like i get really cool stuff out of it and i enjoy doing it so it's kind of the perfect storm for me but we'll see how things go uh just the last thing to note uh because we said we weren't sure uh as kato pointed out there's actually an interview with uh the developers uh, with nomura um who points out that uh a sequence called the forgotten capital um which is where uh, the thing happens their forgotten city is is where uh, rebirth ends. I don't remember. It's literally the end of disc one. Jack about what happens there, but Muted I guess that's color. where this one. Oh, right. Sorry. I had to mute. I muted in two ways and only unmuted myself in one. Uh, it's, 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 uh, the end of disc one. It is literally the end of disc one. That doesn't, that's, that's it's when I, the thing happens. The thing happens. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Cause now we're back out of this. Uh, spo- we started talking about the game again. Right. Uh, right. So, we're out yeah. of the spoilers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm, I'll be playing a lot of this. I'm, I'm excited to share more about it. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll, uh, Janet and I can, I don't know. We might have to do like a whole separate. We did a spoiler cast for uh remake. Um, when that oh, came yeah. out, yeah. me, Kato in Austin. So, uh, Maybe we can do a do one for for rebirth, but we'll we'll do something that's about that scene mm-hmm. before we do an actual full full rebirth. Um, so we'll see. All right, and that will conclude another episode of Remap Radio. Our theme song is by Tumelo. You can check out his work on tumelo.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. And hey, go ahead. Read an article or two while, while you're there. Uh, <laughs> this week's subscribers got to hear our last spoiler cast on Alan Wake 2. Uh, so if you want to hear a, a big deep dive into everything going on in that game, obviously I should say it's like spoiler cast part one because obviously one. we're we gonna go do back. The final draft, the <laughs> DLCs <laughs> come out. Game. Yeah, the DLCs yeah, gotta cover the DLCs. Obviously, it's <laughs> not a not a lake; it's an ocean. It's not a circle; it's a spiral. Uh, it's not a loop, you know. Yeah, it's not a loop. Yeah. It's a spiral. Yeah. Oh, uh, Hi Fi Rush leaked for PS Five. Uh, oh, so that is. That tracks. Kato, I get to continue. I can get the 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 uh, designer of Hi-Fi Rush on uh, back for in, podcast back, back number again. four. Yeah, back in the saddle. <laughs> I got an excuse. Uh, it looks like this leaked, so uh, I guess we'll get more details on that soon. But at least to acknowledge when people listen to this podcast that we that we saw it. 
And this week in streaming, we're going to be going uh, back to the wheel of GeForce Now. And uh, I think Friday, like by the time you're listening to this or the, or the VOD, the VOD will be up uh, if you're coming to it a bit late. Uh, the plan is to play a bit of Nightingale. Was that the, mm-hmm. that where you came down? Yeah. The, yeah, the uh, one of the, the new kind of PVE survival game from what? what they, they're like? Were they like X Bioshock? I forget exactly what the heritage is on the, on the Nightingale folks. But yeah, uh, some of us are gonna check that out uh, on on Friday. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism. Go home. Mm-hmm.